welcome to Arrakis. We bought a mic, a pop culture podcast. We're here, a pop culture spice cast, mm-hmm. the most coveted substance in the galaxy. We're talking 1984's Dune, directed by David Lynch, written by David Lynch. Is that? I didn't see that movie. Film. Is um, that what we're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, we're talking... Throwing a curveball at the listeners. They've just been inundated with spice talk for the last week and a half. and We're taking a break from our Robin Williams series to talk about Denis Villeneuve's Villeneuve. Dune, which is now in theaters and HBO Max. Welcome to Arrakis. My name's Ernest. Um, my name is... Um, uh, uh, I God, there's just too many silly names. Uh, Duncan Hunter, and I'm Droon. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boys. Just it just comes from I don't know where this stuff comes from. You know, it's crazy. This movie <laughs> is one of, if not my number one, top most anticipated movie of not only 2021 but also 2020. I. Ernest, I was a little bit worried about you after watching this movie um, until we just got the most recent news that uh, Dune 2 has been greenlit because I was wondering, like, what is your personality going to be like, like post Dune? Now that the movie's out? Yeah. Yeah. Since 2019, you have been just beating the Dune drum. You've been playing those made up Hans Zimmer synths. uh, Since 2016. Yeah. I've been reading the book. <laughs> <laughs> so really Slowly. captivating page. To a lot page. of people know me as the guy who has that beat up Dune paperback. That's yeah, you're never the only finished. The only guy who's been working on Dune for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Ernest Calderon. <laughs> well, I'm happy to report I finished Dune, boys. Wow. After five years. <laughs> I read other books in the meantime. Um because this one was so tough to get through. I like to think that you get like two senses in. You're like, whew, yeah. that's it for today. Yeah, one page down, like, <laughs> damn, all right. Lot to take in. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I, just notes just scrawled <laughs> all on the side. Like, what does this mean? I powered through the last 10 pages today. Um, and I was like, I had to do it before we did the pod. And also glad we're recording now after the announcement of part two. Because... I had finished part one a long time ago. So the strokes of what we see in this movie, you know, I had already read the Frank Herbert version a a long time ago. So I was really only powering through just to get the full context of the book, which is not really what we see depicted in this movie, because this is Dune part one, which I've been trying to tell everybody ever since I saw the uh, little preview uh, IMAX preview a couple weeks ago, and then when I actually saw the movie early, uh, we can we can maybe start here. Like, what do you guys think of the the absolutely bizarre decision to market this movie as just Dune, and now what it actually is in part one? I think it's very wise. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I think it's extremely clever because it's one thing to get a general audience to buy into, like, go to the movies and go see a like really a f- notoriously dense and hard to access sci-fi property that they've never uh, attempted to read before, or never seen anything from. And it's another thing to tell them also, this is just half. Yeah. 
and the next half is in a couple years. And if this one sucks, then like you just you will never get. This yeah, you won't even watch this. Yeah, like very smart. Yeah, um, a necessary evil. Yeah, it's you know it's kind of interesting. Like they, I guess, whenever this uh, film first premiered at festivals, it did not include in the title. Like as Dune pops up on the screen in the movie theater, it did not say part one. It just said Dune. Yeah, there were conflicting and reports. People for sure. yeah. like some critics were like, "Yo, what the fuck was that, man?" Like when the movie ends, because it doesn't actually like you're being almost promised a full story and. You know, uh, one of the conflicting things that I have about this movie is that I kind of it's a little bit of an incomplete because yep. I don't really know if it's going to stick the landing. Um, definitely does a pretty good job of setting things up. It's and a, it's a huge amount of setup. I'm really happy that this isn't a story that's being crammed into one film because that is the biggest fault of the David Lynch property is mm-hmm. that he tried to cram in everything into one two and a half hour film and you just cannot do that this story is way too fucking dense the the book is a sprawling ethereal uh work that just doesn't translate one-to-one to a film and that's just been kind of like the notorious tale behind the scenes of getting this book turned into a film is that nobody could figure it out there's famously this documentary of uh Hordowski's Dune of this guy who wanted to bring in Dali himself mm-hmm. into the cast and uh <laughs> brought in um the guy who did the designs for uh Alien for mm-hmm. Ridley Scott's Alien HR Geiger to work on the film and it just now it doesn't exist as a final product but just like this documentary of what could never happen and then obviously Lynch disowned his own yeah. adaptation he disowned it before the film was even released yeah. because he was like fuck this shit i'm never making a studio movie the, again this is a nightmare there's been tv show adaptations that you know kind of came and went without much of a of a ripple and now comes villeneuve who we stand I stand hardcore with movies like arrival and blade runner 2049 i stand those <laughs> I stand one of those much harder than the other, but you um, know, I think I think right off the bat, I, I can say Dune stands with those two movies. I think Blade Runner is definitely a notch above it in my eyes, above Dune. And with when you compare it to Arrival, I think Arrival has higher highs for sure, but I think it also has lower lows when you think about like Jeremy Renner and Forrest Whitaker and what they're doing in that movie. It's all well, Arrival's just also apples and oranges. That movie is not heavy into sci-fi, despite the exterior of it and the the mm-hmm. subject matter. It's really a human story. Yes. Um that said, that's this is what the arc of someone who becomes a big budget sci-fi director is supposed to look like mm, yeah. instead of just Chloe Zhao directing extremely low fucking shoestring budget, the lowest of low IRL budgets. using just yeah. random people on the street as actors and then immediately getting Eternals. Really looking forward to that one. Um, <laughs> get the check, Chloe. Please go back to making those incredible movies yeah. that you're so good at. Uh, this is what it's supposed to be. You're supposed to like he he kept proving himself over and over and over. Level up and then level yeah, up. Yeah, gets again. a rival. There's plenty of sci-fi. There are a lot of visual effects that have to go into it, but it's not that much. Like it's not. It's a fraction of the budget of this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, we're dealing in Dune. We're dealing with 165 million dollars. Uh, that's a big boy. Yeah, and it's also like 
You could have told me it was more, man. Yeah. It looks I, like it's worth like a, a billion. This yeah, looks it, better than any two hundred and fifty yeah. million dollar Marvel movie. Like it's yeah, this <laughs> fucking, is this is probably like the coolest looking big budget sci fi I've ever seen in my yeah. life. Yeah, I like genuinely. I, I like. I know I was lower on Blade Runner twenty forty nine than y'all. I th- I I like this better, even though it, keeping in mind that this is a part one because mm-hmm. I went in knowing it was a part one. Uh, I think if you finish the movie and you were like, well, that sucked. What the, the ending was. So if you like didn't understand that it was a part one after watching it, like that just means you're dumb. Like <laughs> they, it literally the last line is like this, you know, it's only this the beginning. Is only the beginning. Um, you can be upset by that for sure. And you can also feel like you didn't get enough closure in this movie. Uh, I it's, an, it's an odd point to leave off in the story. Yeah, I just like I, I'm not as aware of the source material. I don't know where else we could leave off, though, midway through this fucking story. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. we, we don't. There we, are no. other points where you could have. I think that, you know, I'm not fucking Denis Villeneuve. I'm not <laughs> an acclaimed director, but I would have had the movie end. Uh, when there's the attack on Arrakis. So that's, I've heard people say that, I've read that online that people said, basically this first movie should have been like Game of Thrones. Like we're going to spend like this whole movie, like really going into kind of the internal politics and what the emperor is trying to do, pitting these two families against each other to weaken each of them. And then just killing everyone. And then it ends with the (laughs) massive set piece. Yeah. But then you have too much runway left over for just one more movie. That's the issue. Yeah. 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 And he, I'm sure it was already an ask to be like, Hey, sight unseen. This is going to require another one. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the whole conversation was like, you know, this giant question mark of will we get part two now as of this recording? It's been greenlit. It's I, happening. Come on. We knew that we were getting yeah. part two. Come no, on. literally, it's, I've been I've been saying this no, all week. Have you seen the dumb shit that Warner Brothers <laughs> makes? Like, we're going to make fucking that's, part two. Yeah, that's a great it's, point. Um, that, I kept doing it like as a also, bit like, oh, what if it doesn't get made? All like, these, all these people made. would look like dumbasses. Yeah. Fucking Javier Bardem would look like an idiot for playing this role and not getting a part two. Like um, these are careers on the line. They got to follow through. Yeah. I, also, he I mean, he did it like he did it. Yeah. With this movie like Villeneuve, like he accomplished what I was pretty skeptical of. Uh, I have no vested interest in Dune. I didn't know anything about Dune except you know, warm spice. Mm-hmm. Your um, eyes are turning a little blue right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you're a little bit you, pilled. It smells a little spicy in here. Are you calling me dreamy? <laughs> um, but he audiences like this movie. Yep. And critics generally do like it as well. And it's it's not 100% coming from either side. It's probably maybe like an 80% yeah. on, on both sides. That's crazy you know good. What? It's kind of like a Star Wars movie. Like this is kind of what we get like for that's And that's the thing that I didn't expect is that I thought that this would be a lot more mixed and like kind of back and forth. Or I thought that it would be a thing where critics fucking loved it and audiences did not respond to it at all. Yeah, kind it, of like Blade Runner. Blade and, Runner and, critics were more high on but audiences just didn't go see yeah, it. i would have fucking bet on that man i didn't i didn't imagine chalamet like selling out theaters and yet this movie has made over 500 million worldwide already yeah mm-hmm. uh it's rolling because it's undeniable like you watch it and you're like uh moments of this movie are the coolest shit i've ever seen in my entire yeah. life there like, are stretches when you're just like this is the greatest yeah, movie ever made. there are stretches that like are iffy especially if you don't know that 
like where it's going. You don't know that yeah. it's part one and you're watching it. Uh, you're not going to be super into the back half of it as much as you probably were the first half. Uh, that That is an issue you can have. I don't know how to solve it. Uh, I th- think that if there were like a clear, better route, it would have been done. But I think it would have been really tricky to end this feeling like it had been a full movie. Yeah, I think I think this is as good as it gets based on audience expectations and the, you know, the state of like what you need to get a movie like this green lit mm. and the amount of resources that are going to be put into it. This is as good as it gets. Ernie, you don't have to hold it back and put any kind of prefaces. I know you just want to scream Dune. So just just let it out here on the pod. I know I know how you feel. About I'm this. ramping up to it. I'm ramping up to <laughs> it. Don't worry. You're, don't you're worry. like foreplaying your take I, on this movie. <laughs> I wanted to be I wanted to I wanted to make you mad, Ernie. And I I'm on the spice. <laughs> We're snorting spice. Well, tonight, here I, I'll say it. Okay, like I really like 2008's Avatar, guys, and it was great <laughs> that we got to see so, Avatar again. Okay, so the the plot of this movie we've seen a billion times before. It is the plot of Avatar. It's like, the plot of the Bible. It's, it's it's the plot of Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, it's the Lion it's, King. It's, 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 it's literally it's every, it's yeah. a hero's journey, and it's, it's with a white wolves. savior. Yeah, yeah, it dances with wolves. It's uh, Fern Gully. The thing that sets it apart from all of these, though. First of all, it came before it. Mm. Yeah. Um, not Lawrence Pre- of Arabia, but but yes, Bible. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, if you if you subscribe to the Mentat theory of <laughs> yeah. uh, the uh, Paul Atreides what's, what's being his able name? to King deta- Joseph is that the guy who wrote d- detached <laughs> his mind from space and time? Then yes, James. technically. Um, but no, this this is a book that predates so many of the things that in a strange way we're bringing into this movie as audiences like Absolutely. when we watch this movie and, and we're thinking of star wars and game of thrones pre-star and wars. lord of the rings these are all things that borrowed yeah. from the book oh yeah they 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 pulled directly from it like when you watch the original star wars and it's tattooing the desert planet with the sarlacc pit and the jedis doing mind tricks on stormtroopers like that's Dune. Yeah, that is That's Dune. directly from Dune. So, you know, we, we're, we're in a situation where like we have we're experiencing this movie in this loop of like seeing something new for the first time that is has in turn been co-opted throughout the decades. Yeah. By other things that are now part of the global cultural lexicon. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's an incredible thing to get over as audience members to kind of see through all of that. And obviously it colors our perception of it. But one of the biggest things I take away from this movie is that despite all of that, despite Star Wars and Game of Thrones and all these things, like they still managed to make it feel fresh and new while still kind of hinting towards these influences and, and, and acknowledging that connective tissue it's it's an incredible feat and mm-hmm. the the amount of heavy lifting expository heavy lifting that this Dude. movie has yeah, to it's, do it's yeah man insane. it's 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 ins- well this is unbelievable this is yeah this is the crux of why i love this movie so much because i have faith that the fact that this movie was this good makes me pretty confident that the next one is going to be like the it's best gonna, the best yeah, sci-fi off. movie i've ever it's, seen in my yeah. life yeah right they did, you don't have they to do the, the heavy lifting yeah. yeah they they already they did so much with 
not an entire story. Yeah. It, it's unbelievable. Um, I, by the way, audience members, I was just doing a little bit of a bit. This movie is better than Avatar, uh, which, by the way, is a 2009 movie, not a 2008 movie. Oh, I know. Uh, Lost to the Hurt Locker, famously. Um, you get it, <laughs> Catherine. Um, Jeremy Renner stands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. So the thing is about this movie is that I actually whenever I think about this movie objectively, I think that it's pretty uneven. But and it's a big but I think that the highs of this movie is like some of the greatest shit that I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Um, like I saw this movie. I for the second the first time I saw it Thursday night packed theater. Everybody was into it. Saw it again on Saturday at the uh, giant IMAX screen that we full have here in Orlando. IMAX. Full screen yeah. IMAX in another super packed theater. Oh, yes. And there's one specific scene. It's the first time that you see the worm where like my jaw was like on the floor because I was like, this is the most like visually stunning thing that yeah. I've ever seen in my entire life. Like this is unbelievable. Yeah, when the worm eats the harvester. Yeah, yeah no, it's like that is my favorite scene of the yeah. entire movie just because it's so good. Timmy's fucking tripping balls. <laughs> it's just, it's like the best culmination of everything where it's the most visually appealing thing of this movie. There is points where they are talking as great of a job as they do with a lot of the heavy lifting. There are just some points where I can, I just turn my brain off for like six minutes. Um, and that's okay. You don't because, care about the Chris knife. Well, here's the thing is that it looks pretty and for as complicated as plot driven this story is it's pretty simple story like we keep saying yeah. we've seen this story a billion times like luke skywalker you can yeah. pick up the beats this movie does a great job of not over explaining anything like yeah, a man. worse movie would be like they let you the first time when they say like um Timmy, Paul, use the voice. Like he uses it, and then immediately you're like, "Oh, got it!" Like psychic mind powers, got it. Yeah. Like I don't need this to be hyper explained to me. And they still find a way to do it in a way you've never seen before. Yeah. And they're like, "Spice, uh, it's like hallucinogenic, and also it helps with space travel." You're like, "Cool, got it." It's like a miracle drug. Yeah, like, you let's, don't. Need, I don't need. I don't need fucking seven minutes of people telling me the importance of spice. Yeah, yeah. it's like it's like gasoline. Like it, it helps you drive, and also you can just drink it and trip. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, um, you say that, but I, you know that I huff, I huff that pump every time I fill up. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, yeah, it's a, an absolutely insane juggling act. Uh, I, I was shocked at how interested I was because th that exact, like the semantics are what bring me out of so many movies like this. Like they, they become, the, the writer becomes so obsessed with telegraphing details that you don't need to Especially know. when you're pulling from a book that has those yeah. details. Well, not even just sci like I, I just said this last week about the Irishman. Mm -hmm. like, it's the same thing. That mm -hmm. script is just like, it's so obsessed with like getting the, the fucking Jimmy Hoffa details, right? It's like, we don't need it. <laughs> like the, it might've added a lot to the book, but that doesn't mean it will add to the yeah. movie. Um, I heard you doing houses. <laughs> this uh, movie co-written, Fucking Eric Roth, man. Yeah. Come on. Not Eric Rothman. Eric Roth, man. Man wrote a Star is Born. Oh. Man wrote Forrest Gump. He also wrote Forrest Gump, which is, I mean, you know, he knows one of how the to most, just give you. Yeah, the, one of the most successful movies ever. Yeah. He won the Oscar for that, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Like, well, the key thing is when you look at his IMDb page, what you're not seeing is a lot of sci-fi. Nice. He, he writes humans. Yeah. Um, and the other co-writer that's not Villeneuve has written a lot of sci-fi that I don't like. Did, uh, he's written, he wrote 
passengers. John, he wrote Prometheus. Really don't like that movie. John Spites. Yeah. Did uh did you guys listen to the DGA podcast that he did with yes. Nolan? Okay. So I thought it was interesting. A few different things that he said on that interview. One of the main things was that just kind of he like throws it in there as a detail that like it like he Villeneuve says that he like originally wrote the script and he immediately sent it over to Eric Roth. Like he knows like, okay, because I'm sure his first draft of this was probably like it was probably closer to the David Lynch film where it's just all like paying so much homage to the movie. He said that he's been wanting to make this film since he was 13 years old. So, you know, that he is like obsessive about the details and everything. And Eric Roth was probably like. No, Let's that's not down. how we like write a blockbuster yeah. movie. We're going to actually yeah. like trim out, but weed out the fat it's, here. It's very, very good at it's something that Game of Thrones got right as well, um, uh, especially earlier on is like there's so much uh, feudal discussion going on, mm-hmm. like discussion, the where intrigue, the palace intrigue. It, yeah, it's it's just entire conversations where they're. There are no emotional words being used. It's all pragmatic. It's all based on like action. Like, what are we doing? What can be done? Um, yeah. Hey, do you know what else Eric Roth wrote? Yeah, give me. Uh, Mank. And I, I do. I want credit. <laughs> you want credit? I, I want credit. Did I write Mank? <laughs> I want credit. He produced Mank. Well, He's- he got nominated for it. So, <laughs> whatever. Another. Um, another no, so, well, hold on. Hold on. I was saying. Um, it has so much of that like dialogue which can really drag you down and the genius is that it then will punctuate just like game of thrones did when it was great it'll punctuate these discussions with a really normal sounding couple of lines right like like timmy just being like you good yeah and it's like oh that i would say that i understand now now i'm like back in on understanding like where their head is at you know desert power it's shut I would say desert power. That's normal to me. All right. I gotta say desert power did not work. I just, they say desert power like too, too many times. In the movie. I loved it. That was awesome. I think, I think you're totally right. I think there's so many instances of humanity coming through these like incredibly dense world building dialogue pieces that bridge that gap because Here's the challenge with this with this fucking adaptation of this book is you have to uh, stick to the material to some extent to bring it to life, to please the people that have connected to the story in for the decades it's been around. You can't just go wildly in a bold new direction. You have to stick to it to some extent, Um, but you also have to change it somehow to please new viewers who have never even heard of Dune. Mm. So that's what makes a good adaptation. And I think they absolutely fucking knocked it out of the park in this movie. Obviously, there's issues. I think there's two in huge inherent issues with this being a part one, which means you get a truncated arc. So obviously, we all watch a lot of movies. We're all familiar with the hero's journey and like the arc that a hero's journey should take. We in film classes, they give you the matrix uh, screenplay and they're like, here you go. This is how you should write a movie because it's just a formulaic structural, like intact piece of writing. This movie cuts that Mm -hmm. in half, which like if you want to be silly and cute, which, you know, 
I kind of want to be a little silly and cute. Okay. You can say, right. I like it. You can say that this is just experimental filmmaking and experimental okay. story All right. structure. <laughs> okay. This is cute. I thought this was going to be cute. You could say it's an experimental choice. Silly and cute means pretentious is what you're saying. (laughs) The other thing is Paul's arc. It's not a complete arc. His arc in the book is a full arc. By the time you get to the end of the story for Paul at the end of the book, you have experienced a full arc for this character that actually subverts the white savior story. And this movie, you don't get that subversion because you don't have the actual conclusion of his arc. But one of the genius things about that, that original book and Herbert's writing is that it's actually not a conventional white savior story. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, there's no way in hell that, uh, that like it goes the way that it's going. It's actually a very genius subversion and flip of that white savior yeah. motif. So that, that I mean, that's that, but we don't get any of that in this. It just it's setting up to be a white savior movie, which is one of the things that I dislike. Is it though? Because think about how the movie opens. Think about how the movie opens. It does not open with Paul. It opens with a voiceover of Zendaya as Chani asking, "Who will our next oppressors be?" Mm. That's how the movie opens. So that's a clue from Villeneuve to let you know this is not yeah. really so Paul's. It is story. still though, like the average viewer would watch the movie and they wouldn't think about that. Yeah. They wouldn't. They would. They would be like, "Yeah, this is about this skinny little white boy yeah. going that's, and saving the the brown people." Yeah, the, and that's right. not where my problems lie in this movie. One of the problems is like you're talking about about that truncated arc. Like I, I've been thinking a lot since seeing this movie about the Lord of the Rings films, which we like covered in depth each of them last year. All which, perfect again, films. All perfect films, but the genius thing about those movies, and maybe it's because Peter Jackson knew that he was making all three of them back to back to back because he filmed them all at the same time. Maybe a madman, <laughs> yeah. Which is now like you think about that, and that's insane. Like just that sounds like hell to do all that. Um, but maybe it's because he did all that. Maybe it's because he already knew from the studio that he had the ability to make tell all these stories. But look at the arcs of the characters in those movies they still have a beginning middle and end within the wider yeah. scope of the trilogy like when fellowship ends you're like there's more to this story but theoretically there could not be and you'd be like frodo is a different like he's changed from where he was at the beginning of this film and this movie doesn't really do that the reason i think that audiences yeah, still like it is because uh, we're generally sort of moving beyond that being the norm in yeah, spe- well, it's a television. Yeah, it's well, especially brain. yeah, especially in like big budget sci-fi. The only ones that the average person watches, like you said, like the average Marvel movie will end more conclusively than this, but it also will never end fully conclusively. <laughs> and there's, there's a post-credit scene that's setting up the next oh, seven Marvel yeah. movies. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, so it's all it's a continuing story. Yeah. So they, you know, they identify that I don't, you know, audiences now uh, would not be as upset as audiences probably like 10, 15 years ago would be by this. Ending. Yeah, it's because, so much because in a vacuum, this ending is not an ending of a movie, but mm-hmm. it's like, what is a movie, man? I don't expect that anymore. Yeah. Um, I also do agree, though, that it they could have pulled a few levers to end it more conclusively. Um, 
while still like very obviously not fully ending the story. Not even conclusively. Just I think and, well, like, I it's mean, not feeling even, I wouldn't say that it's unsatisfying because I actually I like the scene that we get there because there is a little bit of. I, I we're like fully in spoilers at this point. Spoiler. You just got to put a spoiler warning at the top of this episode because we're just bouncing all over the place here. But um, do we have any listeners in the discord right now? We had Ray. I okay. think I think he did Ray out. bail out. OK, good. Um, yeah, I mean, we get the whole he kills a man, you kill yourself like the birth, birth, death, rebirth kind of again. It's the fucking Bible. Um, but we start to like rebirth into this new chapter and then cut to black. So it's not like that's an unsatisfying scene, but I think like something like uh lady Jessica's storyline is pretty unsatisfying. Like where that goes. Um, I mean, we're going to get there. A turn is coming hard with, with these folks. I I'll say, because also like you're saying all that I've heard from anyone is just that this is subversive. Like you, you just said more than I had known about uh, Paul's story arc in particular, but really from like probably the first half hour, first 20 minutes, I was like, he's not what they think he is. Like, this isn't going to go. I don't know if he's a villain or if he's just not the one or if it's some mix. I don't know. But when uh, I, I, I almost I think I wrote down the line. There's there's a hard cut when the first time Chalamet says, I think to his dad, but what if I'm not the leader of the house? Yeah. Um, we break the 180 rule hard in that cut. Nice. It is it is really, really jarring to the viewer. It breaks the mm-hmm. like I think it's the only shot in the movie that does this where it just like it like really severely breaks the the rule that even if you don't know it, like you know you something it, something something looks wrong yeah. he timmy had been looking right to his dad the entire conversation and then he's left he's looking left for just one shot and yeah. then it cuts back to the scene i remember i was that. like okay yeah. he is not the he's not yeah he's not <laughs> like there's no way you know i th- i think that, i don't know how far that extends i don't know if it means he's not anything but yeah i think he's, it, it's something like very something interesting is coming yeah yeah I, I think that's just the need like just being a fucking amazing director. Like I, I honestly believe that he has been making this movie in his head, his whole life and choices like that just come subconsciously to him mm. on the day because it, that all of this, who these characters are and how they need to be represented on screen have just been soaked into his mind so he doesn't even he doesn't even have to be like okay let's break the 180 rule in order to signify yeah. that paul is going to yeah go great directors brains don't fremen. think like that like no it's just, it's, 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 it's it's this instinct and it's an instinct that's tapped into the core of this story and it's not just villeneuve i mean we, we we've talked about him plenty but i want to talk about hans zimmer guys because my guy made up instruments. He created instruments to make the score of this movie. Uh, Hans Zimmer is as much of a dune head, a, a spice pilled boy as Villeneuve. Like they, well, that's another nugget from the Chris Nolan DGA interview is he talks about how him and Hans Zimmer like would have extensive talks about dune. Like and how they they banned each other from pulling ideas from the Internet. And said that they could only pull from their dreams. 
Zeb, we could only we could only pull from our dreams. Oh. And and Zeb, we said, um, was this a, a dangerous thing to do to pull from our subs, from our deepest subconscious? <laughs> I'm it's so, a pretty good Denis. Yeah. Honestly, have you been practicing that Denis? It's pretty good. I listen to a lot that's of interviews. A, that's just a good French, uh, <laughs> French Canadian, technically. But. Yeah, but think about that. Like these two nerds in their 50s. I think Hans is probably in his 60s. He's old as hell. Yeah. And they are asking if it's too dangerous to pull from their dreams. That's crazy and to think about how dreams play into the plot of Dune and how Paul is having dreams that break time and space and have mm-hmm. him see into the future of his own life and they're using that to make the movie holy shit well was these it, guys are crazy well was it lynch you said that wanted to get dolly involved no uh Hordowski. oh mm-hmm. I, dolly famously his entire method yeah. was falling asleep and then like jolting awake and painting whatever he had just exactly. seen exactly like <laughs> yeah that's what you have to do to get in the freaking herbert zone the the music without just movie. taking like a disgusting amount of hallucinogens yeah. that would not make you a functioning like adult which herbert i mean he's from the pacific northwest so he was out there with his truffle pig like oh hey. <laughs> um yeah but zimmer score guys like if, if we're gonna pick an mvp from this movie um the one person to knock uh Villeneuve off the throne is Zimmer like seeing this in a theater with those speakers cranked up I it was it was a fucking religious experience for me like the sound is what elevates this movie to that orgasmic status obviously the visuals are incredible and we got to shout out um the DP or our guy Greg Frazier uh Greg Frazier like uh, you know incredible cinematography that shooting the Batman 2022 it it puts every other movie to shame I'm just like I'm like disappointed in every movie now that doesn't look like Dune I'm like what what is your excuse what is your excuse Shang-Chi <laughs> what's your fucking excuse um, they probably had to make that movie in like three months. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know, yeah. I know it's unfair, but just no, sitting know, in there in you the mean. theater, I'm like, if we can do this, why don't I see this more? It's, this is incredible. It's yeah, it's a really uh, for for how out there and literally like extra planetary uh, the entire movie is. I, not it. I don't think there was a single point where I was like, "Oh, that looks a little iffy." No, and you're that, in. That happens in even great-looking sci-fi right. movies. There's always like a moment or two when you're like, oh, "That they could have worked on that texture right yeah. there." And there's really not much going on here with that I could I could notice. Well, it's, a, it's a lot of sets, mm-hmm. which was the case with uh, Blade Runner, and it's a lot of. Um, real world locations yeah they like shouted that's you can feel they went it. in the desert you can yeah feel like be, they went to the desert you they're can running feel up they sand. went to fucking norway to shoot in caladan and shit like that like you can just tell yeah. like these feel like real places and the like the large large scale uh events that happened you know the, the way that like the terrain is affected by a massive crash or whatever it's all 
earthly terrain mm-hmm. that they can use effects from. So effects already exist for sand dynamics because we have sand. Yeah. So like we've been working on that for, for the entire history of CG, mm-hmm. like how to make sand behave like sand or, and same goes for fluid dynamics. Like we know how that, how it works because sand at a certain scale starts to follow the laws of fluid dynamics. Yeah. Like it, there are certain scenes where like we zoom out so far and it looks just like an ocean yeah. is crashing oh. because that's how it works. Yeah, like so a lot. Yeah, a lot of the because they did so much real the things that they did that had had to be extremely CG. uh, The techniques were already there for a lot. Wait, you're telling me the worm was CG? Gee? No, 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 no. The worm is worm is worm okay. is practical. Yeah, no, that's um, what I yeah. thought. Um, yeah. So there is one thing, and it's not even a knock against the movie. I think it's more so a knock against certain theaters and essentially and especially if you're watching this from home but i will say you know don't want to talk shit about regal theaters here i am a regal unlimited member but sometimes the rpx um screening can be a little bit dim and during the night siege Mm. there is a little bit of um game of thrones uh taking of winterfell where it's sure. a, it gets a little bit dark and like you're kind of squinting a little bit to see shit. You think um, that would be better at home? If no, you well, can... I think that that's going to be a problem for some people at okay. home. If you don't have a, a great, if you don't have a great television, then I think that that might look a little bit. It might look a little bit messy. Yeah, and, and that's not if your internet connection's choppy. Yeah, and that's and again, that's not even wholly against Greg Frazier or Denis because I, I saw it in IMAX, which has a lot better projection, and like you're able to see, like, okay, no, there is like some real, real craft that is going into this showing. But I did notice that, like, maybe it's, it's a little bit too dark. Yep, like you shouldn't, very you shouldn't need it to be that dark. And also, I know it saves a lot of money for <laughs> studios if they can shoot something at nighttime. There's a reason why the end game sequence uh, takes place in like a brown gray, mud. brown, red world because it's just cheaper to do CGI that way. But it's just a I don't know. know. Otherwise, this movie, especially everything that takes place in the daytime, I keep coming back to that scene. The first time that you see the worm. It's the most breathtaking shit. It's yeah. fucking and the unbelievably sound, that's, good. That's what I'm trying to say is like, mm-hmm. yeah, beyond, and, beyond, and avoid, beyond the score, the sound design. Yeah. The is, sound is crazy. It, it well, really it bleeds, is. It bleeds into each mm-hmm. other. Like yeah. there's moments where like this, this worm is making sounds that as it gets closer, they get louder and the music starts to amp up. And what they do is there are times when like, we have diegetic and non-diegetic sound also happens with the bagpipes. Yeah. What, as they're ascending into, into yeah. Arrakis where the diegetic and the non-diegetic become one in the track. So you have this worm making these fucking just terrifying noises mm-hmm. clicking in as it's going to devour this spice harvester and you have the music and then it all just blends into the same track and you're just like, I'm just sitting there like my mouth on the floor, like just in awe of, of, of um, the, the, the power of cinema. The, the worm. Dune. Worm lives up to there the we hype. Go. There's what we got, Dune. Worm. Worm looks fucking unreal. They did. They did the Jaws thing. They like just keep teasing. it. Yeah. You just get a little bit more. A little yeah, bit more. I was kind of going to say. That one scene. I honestly, I wish that we didn't see Dune. I wish that we didn't see Worm in the trailer. Um, 
you know, you got to show people something. Uh, you you can't show just them. show them like sad Chalamet. I, Dune is the, the only thing people know about Dune is spice and worms. Yeah. So I guess you got to show um, the worms. I, I wanted to compare it to to Jaws, not just in their execution of it, but just because like the way I felt when I saw that worm was, you know, it it must be similar to how an audience felt looking at that shark in the 70s because they were like, you, you can't tell me that's not real. <laughs> that, that thing has got to be real. And I think the worm is real. I I will I'm champion your um your take. I do think, you think I, the worm would be better if it was like a little bit like not so hard. Do you think the movie Tremors is based in Dune? For sure, it has yeah. to be for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I want to see that movie. I've never seen it. It sucks. It's so stupid. Um, I mean, it, it might be like fun, stupid. I saw it when I was a little kid, and I was like, really? Oh, Tremors. Tremors is a classic. I just didn't like Kevin Bacon when I was a kid. I don't like his nose. There's a um. There's a name <laughs> like a six year old. Like, I just don't like this Kevin Bacon. Okay. I just don't see it. It's like a fucking pig. But Tom Hanks <laughs> in any of his movies. Is it better? Yes. Um, okay. So I'm, I'm going to read a passage from the Dune wiki real quick. Um, to the planet's Fremen population, the creature was a spiritual symbol of their faith and saw them as a physical embodiment of the one God of their potential Senzuni religion. Within Fremen culture, the sandworm had several additional names, notably the Maker and Shai Hulud. Yeah, Shai Hulud. So that is the big boy. So uh, that's. Which variously meant old man of the desert, old father eternity, and grandfather of See, the desert. So I did. I, I, had a, I had a Dune dune lore question oh, yeah. for you. Honestly, um, yeah, I probably have some too. So, first of all, I just want to confirm there is more than one worm. Yes. Yes, and they vary in size. Okay, so that what we saw, I believe, is like. Did we see Shai Halud? Yeah, was pretty, that is that the worm who almost eats Timmy? Yes. So, so let's let's think about this for a second. That worm that fully shows itself to Paul and Jessica. Mm. That worm is not as big as the one that eats. Yeah, it's the, the, the spice one that eats harvester. that one thing is fucking mad. The, like, the, the mouth is the, insane. Um, the ecologist says when she sees it, oh, that's a big one. Yeah. Like, that's a big fucking worm, bro. I think that's as big as they get because that spice harvester is like fucking how, massive. How big did they say that they get? They say in meters and I was like, that's gibberish to me because I'm I know fucking, all these fucking I, the sci-fi yeah, uh, yeah, I'm like, I well, please, gibberish. I think the put number, it in centimeters so I can understand. <laughs> I think that the, the number that they give is the diameter of the mouth the the butthole. Hey, that's all I opening. care about. Okay, because I know they said what was it Not like three hundred meters, and I was yes, like, "There's it, it, was, no way that worm is like much, much <laughs> fucking longer than three hundred meters." Yeah. I don't know what three hundred meters is, but it's bigger than that. <laughs> well, three three hundred. It's, it's like a, I think I would imagine just just a bit. It's like a yard, around, right? It's, it's around a thousand yeah. feet. Yeah, that's not that that thing was bigger than a thousand feet. A, a fifth of a mile. Yeah, three hundred meters. Three hundred meters is almost a thousand feet. It's yeah. nine hundred and eighty feet. Yeah, the, yeah about the, a yard. the metric genius is logged yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I really want us to talk about this cast because this has one of the most expansive casts of any big mm-hmm. movie of the 21st century yeah so we talked about plenty about timmy which this is his first of all no we didn't we need to talk a lot more about yeah this is i think might be like this is his biggest movie yeah well that's the thing is that i feel like we have said on the pod and other people have said like oh timothy chalamet he's a movie star and everything no like no he wasn't now now he's a movie star he wasn't in a fucking mar like more 
kids and like adults who don't pay attention to movies know who Tom Holland is yeah. or Timothy Chalamet. Oh, and they God. know Paul Atreides. Chalamet is known like by most people probably more for his like public antics. Probably for like, you know, he's been I, I see him on Instagram Explore all the time now because he hangs out with Zendaya. That's yeah. why. Like that's the reason. Yeah, Tom Holland's in the corner like what's up? Um, he <laughs> He's he's in a really interesting position because gotta bulk up it's well it's like part two better give me some muscle i know he's 15 but still (laughs) no i want him to be skinny forever (laughs) i also think that it's genius to make him skinny because that allows a slightly younger audience to grab onto him yeah because otherwise you're just like god this is all just like these fucking hardened men you know and timothy chalamet is i think the skinniest movie star ever in terms I of men, surprise, man, he's he's way too skinny, dude. Yeah, because I mean, there's like non bulky, like Leo was always like smaller, but he wasn't no, like he wasn't scrawny. Skinny. Also, I don't think it's too. I think it's too skinny to your uh, Western stereotype of what a man should look like. Uh, maybe in Dune World, he's the sexiest guy ever. Jason Momoa, too big, skinny up. <laughs> he just like lose weight. That's just really interesting. It's he is not. Uh, um, He's a, a merchant in just fa- looking fascinating. Yeah. Like his he, face his, alone is so angular. I'm, I'm bo- uh, yeah, I was trying structures. to, I was workshopping <laughs> a tweet in my car. I was like, I, I was trying to think like, like Timothy Chalamet's dad was a construction worker and his mom was a trapezoid. <laughs> <laughs> like he, he looks impossible. <laughs> but, but <laughs> as, as, as Villeneuve said, the camera loves him. It does every angle of it. You're like, that is like, that's not how most people look, but it is also like better somehow, yeah. but also not in like a sexier way. Yeah. It's just, he just looks cool mm-hmm. when that we keep coming back to that scene, that, that worm attack. But when he steps onto the sand and breathes in the spice for the first time, and he's just like tripping, the camera is just right up in his face mm. and he is going for it. He, it works so well. So there is a moment <laughs> early on the movie where whenever um, he sticks his hand in the pain box, um, which which rocked, by the way, great, great scene. scene yeah. But he does this like face where he sticks the hand. And he's like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> like it's like a little bit. It's a little hot yogurty. It like gets it gets right on the edge. And then like his eyes just start he, like shaking like violently. He actually. Yeah. He, he wanted them to cast a different box. <laughs> they, they wouldn't. So yeah. Yeah. That so that's one of those scenes that is like perfectly realized from the book. Really, like that's there are so many moments in this movie where I it's read like, that part in the book. It's exactly that's, how that's really I good. pictured yeah. it, and it's just realized like beautiful. It's it's also the first uh, scene where we get some real sort of like it's not like a scare, but the when she uses the voice on him, that's the first moment in the movie that you're like, whoa, holy shit! Yeah, like it jolts you. And um, it climbs. The tension just yeah, keeps and then building. It, yeah, from there it goes crazy. Like we get talk about experimental filmmaking. Yeah. That's what we get with these fucking visions. Oh. Like, did you guys? I just want to know because uh, I know a couple people kind of like looked around like something was fucked up the first time that Timmy uses the voice and the bass comes in at a different Perfect. point than the words. Did you think like it was like fucked up for a second? Like a speaker is fucked because like a couple people in my answer like. Like oh shit! Did that's something like look up there? It's like oh no, that's just that's just really good. Yeah, yeah. Give me the water. It's perfect. Let's uh, let's talk about Rebecca Ferguson. She's, she's I, the co-lead of this movie. I, she's like the MVP of it's not Timmy. Gets, she's so fucking she, good. Man. She's the MVP of. I definitely <sighs> think that she's f- like f- for sure evil. Yeah. So 
I have a lot of thoughts about this character. And well, my my thoughts about her hinge on that fact, because especially really late in the movie, she, she is just all restraint. Like she is her. Her role is to act like she is hiding something really sinister from Timmy. So Lady Jessica is kind of the main character of Dune, the book. I know that like, you know, we're conditioned to be gravitated towards the the male figure of the story and 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 everything sort of revolves around him and paul is like the core the, everything happens to him you know but lady jessica is the she's the active protagonist of this story she is not the passive protagonist mm. and i'm so fascinated um where they take uh lady jessica in the in the that- sequel because i when i think of dune i i think mostly of her because the first of all the Benny Jesuit are like just such a fascinating Dope. concept yeah. these witches who are behind the scenes <laughs> fabricating the genetic makeup of a messiah mm-hmm. and coupling that with a religious doctrine on the planet of Arrakis seeding these native people with a story that is being bundled with this generational breeding of the Messiah <laughs> that they're insane. waiting for bonkers, absolutely bonkers. And she's wrapped up in it because now she's given birth to this boy herself. Um, and in the book, you get a lot more from Lady Jessica as the potential betrayer mm-hmm. of House Atreides. So that's something that they take out of the movie, which I'm kind of torn on. I don't, and I understand so why they it, do. It might not be overt, but I got it all over that fucking movie. Okay. I was like, oh, this I, Lady Jessica, they, they what do, is up your fucking sleeve? It's interesting that you say that she's a lot more active, an active lead in the book, because in this like. Paul is like fully in charge. Like after they get the news that he gets more to do they in get the, the movie, new, they than get in the, the news that sure. Oscar Isaac is dead. He's just like, all right, time to get everything together. Yeah. Like we're leading and like Lady Jessica's like, oh shit. Okay. In, in the book, Taking Paul is kind action, of just eh? like a bumbling little dum dum. <laughs> He's 15. He, he eventually gets to the point where he is like full on, like the leader. Like he embraces that kind of, you know, it's it's mm-hmm. what Oscar Isaac says at the beginning, like yeah. a leader is a leader has a du- duty calls to a leader or whatever yeah. the line yeah. is. Um, and you it's up to you to yeah. answer. And if the answer is no, you'll always be my son. Um, By the way, Oscar Isaac, great dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We'll dad. get we'll get to him in a second. But any other thoughts on Lady Jessica? Because I think that Rebecca Ferguson is slated to be in the prequel series. Yeah, that she's, they're going they're to make a whole HBO Max uh, series. Yeah. So I series. think she's going to be in that. But as far as what we see in this movie, I think she brings so much humanity to this movie and to the story and to the, the dynamic of this mother and son. I think that in the book, there is so much coldness to the character. She is so much more kind of into the the witchness, the, the Bene Gesserit way of life. She's yeah. given herself more to that. And it seems like this take in the movie, she's less witch, more more human yeah no there's that one there's that like that scene which you don't ever actually hear the answer to but where oscar isaac asks her like will you protect our son no not you as his mother like the benny jesseris will you protect our son you never actually hear the answer to it but um um 
IRL 13 years older than Timmy. I yeah, no, so that's a thing you can kind of tell at certain points when you're like supposed to be your mom yeah you're like mommy no sorry mommy mommy? (laughs) um no i think that she put her still suits on she's she's the (laughs) fucking best man i i love rebecca ferguson so much just becoming the queen of genre out here with mission impossible Mm -hmm. also reminiscence okay no anybody Um, no no just you um but also similar to what you're saying that in mission impossible a typically not necessarily a cold franchise but it's a franchise without really heart to it and she reinvented the last two movies by providing providing heart good point oscar isaac daddy leto himself full-on zaddy mode beardy beardy duke Good dad. Um, good, I, good, good, good leader. Do we think I have was, a couple notes. He was on set for like six days. <laughs> Is that it? Do he, did he get a full week on set? So, so this, this character, this is what George R.R. R. Martin borrowed very heavily for Game of Thrones. Like yeah. when you look at Ned Stark. Yeah, this is Ned Stark. This the, is literally just the stoic. The noble I will man. never tell a lie. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's a warrior yeah. at heart. Like no yeah. man left behind. Yeah, courage. Uh-huh. Go, uh, always for a good cause. Yeah. And yeah. guess what? You think that he's cool? Just wait, brother. We're going to meet Duncan Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> is this... Well, okay. Well, do you guys have any more Oscar Isaac thoughts? I, I think he's... I love him. I think I, he's great. I think... Um, everything that happens before we get to Arrakis when they're still on Caladan um, is great uh, Leto stuff. And then once we get to Arrakis, I think that he is a good uh, bellwether of like the intentions of House Atreides, right? Obviously, like the what plays out has nothing to do with the intentions, but it's like he represents this this man who is going to occupy this land, but he is doing it in a way that seems more kind. I just, yeah. Maybe so it's just that I wish that this, I wish that this was like a three part movie or I wish that this was a TV series or something, but I just wanted more. I wanted yeah. more of that. I want to see him actually ruling. Arrakis. Yes. Well, that's I, want, I want some of that. In Give the me the, book, that shit in the book. In, in this movie, it really seems like they get to Arrakis and like a couple Day of days two. later, <laughs> it, it all goes to shit. In the book, you get a lot of time they like, where they're just there. They get like set up. They're like talking about like they go by and there's like, you know, the uh, Harkonnens like we're filling up 30 of these. We have to fill them up like every every full moon or something like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. And like it feels like you're going to spend more time in this city. Yeah. Maybe have like some like secret spies going around. That's like I just want to see a whole movie of that shit. Oh, absolutely. Like that I, sounds I, incredible. I, yeah, well, that's what makes me wonder. I'm. I would guess, knowing nothing, that he wanted three, and yeah, he, I mean, and he could get. Well, and he could get the. He could get the promise that if one does well, they'll make one more. I don't know. I don't know. I think three might have been too much for even Warner. You know what I mean? Especially since Blade Runner. Um, yeah, I think that Blade Runner, Blade Runner failing yeah, exactly. hurt a lot. That, that Blade, up a like, think, if money. Blade Runner made five hundred million dollars, would he have just had a blank check to do three movies or of five course. movies for and this? the TV show? Yeah, exactly. Because because I think that anyone could see that that would be a better way to yeah. break up the story. It's I think it's really a matter of not having the ability to do that. Um, because I trust that these writers know Dune well enough to know that you could eat up some good story in those moments. 
So let's try to get through some of these other uh, yeah. cast members. I, so this Momoa, is the best, this is the best Momoa performance ever. He right? is like, I, what have you ever seen Momoa in that he's actually like a better actor than this? He is a, a shining beacon of joy in this movie. The only person who's having fun. Everybody's so dour, which, you know, you kind of need in a movie like this yeah. because that's one of my biggest takeaways from the movie is that like we're so used to the fucking guardians of the galaxy which i i love guardians of the galaxy but that model has infected sci-fi movies to the point Thank where like god there's you, not comedic relief throughout this entire yeah you movie. can't have a so sci-fi hard. action movie without like quips and like oh remember this uh, song from 1976 mm, that just happened <laughs> <laughs> he's right behind me isn't he yeah <laughs> And it's it, the worm. It's funny. It's funny that like Dave Bautista is in both of them in like completely just different roles, hey, but good actor, incredible. But um, this you know you need that tiny little bit of relief, and he and says he, the, he says the only like actual joke in the whole movie where he's like, oh, you've gained some muscle. And he's like, yeah. yeah, and he's like, no, <laughs> yeah. Um, the way. Really, for me, it wasn't even Momoa. It was the way that Timmy reacts whenever Momoa comes in. He like he like basically <laughs> like like jumps in his arms. Boy. He's like, pick me up, pick me up, pick me Duncan. up, Duncan. Yeah, it's, it's so, literally it's like fucking Frodo. It really is just like a hobbit, like just seeing his so, old friends. It's so cute, and it's so it's so relatable because he's you know a lot of the time he is trying to be stoic because that's what this character must do. He, he you know he has the fa- he's has all the weight on him of being the the one. Yeah, um, but. Like most of us, when he sees Momo, he just wants someone to freaking pick yeah. him up. Yeah. Duncan Idaho, a big hug. expert swordsmaster. We all know this. We all know Duncan Literally, Idaho is an expert swordsman. Probably like top five coolest dudes like ever. Yeah. yeah. Coolest Dun- Duncan Idaho. Duncan, just a dope fucking Is he? Name. Is he the, like just like flawless and cool in the books we just we just know that he is like an unstoppable swordsman uh master like he is just like the slick unstoppable fucking uh warrior dude and we know that paul has like a really close relationship with him Mm. and that he kind of sees him and Gurney Halleck, which we'll get to in a second, as more of his parental figures yeah. than his own father. He has like more of a of a closer bond yeah, to them. Duncan's than like, the yeah, Regal. Duncan's like an epic cousin. Yeah. You know, your epic cousin who like teaches you about like uh hip hop. Yeah. <laughs> and uh the 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 scene when he sacrifices himself, I think is another standout scene in the movie, just because that is such a emotional kind of peak mm-hmm. of the movie. It's also it's such a movie scene yeah. in, a, in a movie that doesn't have a ton of it's scenes like that. It's teased in the first it's, act, and then you the see most, the smoking gun, and yeah, it, it's, it's the <laughs> most movie scene where it's like the, you know they exchange the look of like I'm gonna, this I'm gonna, it. I'm gonna, yeah. They, yeah they and then the, the audience is kind of thinking like, did he really have to do that? Like, could he? Maybe yeah, no, it, <laughs> it's almost like he could just like out? gotten behind the wall yeah. with them, and then like they just could have escaped altogether. <laughs> but you know, Duncan, no, nah, Duncan's like, no, nah, fuck that. But I mean, it's an incredible scene because it's like we he. He kills like twenty guys. I I grew, by himself. <laughs> I grew to love Duncan so much in like forty five minutes that yeah. like it worked. Even though this, you know, it should have been way more drawn out and getting to know him and these characters. Because you're you're right. Like we should have had two hours in this spot before things blow up. But you like they tell the story really effectively in like such a short amount of time. Yeah. You know. Oh, that, it's very efficient. Yeah. Um. 100%. But yeah. So let's get to the next uh, general uh, awesome guy, Gurney Halleck. Dude. Josh Brolin, 
Just yeah. so That's good. That's not even who I was talking I'm, about either. Oh, oh really? are you talking about Stellan Skarsgård as Baron Harkonnen? No, no, no. Come on. The, Thufir Stephen, Stephen McKinley? Yeah, I'm talking about Lady Birdman. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So Thufir Hawat plays, uh, or sorry, Stephen McKinley Henderson plays Thufir Hawat. Who I love this guy. is a mentat. So in the world of Dune, there's no computers. Do you guys notice that? How there, there's no, they have like those like hollow deck books. Yeah. It's like, it's yeah. like an overhead no projector. Guns. It's like, it's borderline steampunk. Yeah. So they don't have computers. So they have these guys called mentats that have used like spice and like some kind of Bene Gesserit training to essentially become like computers in a way. Uh, and apparently there was like some kind of war that banned computers in the, you know, thousands of years in between okay. us and them. <laughs> anyway, that's cool. So this guy, uh, he's also like the head of security. You don't know about the gear wars. <laughs> <laughs> he's also the head of security for House of Treaties. And um, yeah, we have our guy from from Ladybird playing him. And, you know, just immense, immensely cool. He gets this character gets a lot more to do in the book. And I'm hopeful that he'll be back for part two. I mean, he's dead, isn't he? No, we don't see him die. I guess no. we don't see him die. We, yeah, we 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 get the attack on on the the um, castle and and that's it. But we don't see him die. Um, but yeah, he's he's great. He doesn't get a ton to do, but the scenes that he's in, uh, he's just one of those guys that you just love to see on. Yeah, screen. everyone like that's yeah. It's a character that anyone could get behind. Like that's, he, that's the thing with a lot of this cast is like you don't really get a lot of time with everybody except Timmy. Yeah, because back half is like weird yeah. out and. And you're always wanting more, but the little you do get, you're like, oh, thank God. Thank God they're in this massive mm-hmm. fucking movie operating at such a scale. Yeah, man. Uh, it, it's cool as hell. The Yeah, the ensemble we established in the beginning is, I think, so good. So, so recognizable, even if you don't know their names, that when it when it gets taken away from you, like it still hits, even though you feel like you just met them, you know? Um, yeah, so... Yeah, Momoa, I think, might be the closest thing to the MVP just because of his charisma. But I love Josh Brolin, though. I Josh Brolin's great. I mean, because you can't Momoa's like Duncan only works because there's also a gurney there. Yeah. You also get just the like, uh, no, um, you, you're always ready for for the battle. So I'm, I'm going to spoil a little bit. We're going to get Brolin back in part two. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's you don't see him. Gurney is a huge part of the second half of the book. Key, key part. Cool. Um, And I'm excited to see him back because it is we I think we will fundamentally see a shift in the character um, because of the I won't you know give away everything that happens. But the events of of part two influence that character a lot. Um, so I'm excited to see him back. As far as what we do get in this movie, I think he's, you know, he's the the military guy. You know, he is the the guy who is the spearhead of this formidable House Atreides band of warriors. And obviously, Duncan Idaho is the guy that they send over to um, the Fremen to live among them, which give me my fucking Duncan Idaho spinoff. Dude, do you know, I wrote that down. I, I wrote down, like, it goes against everything that I believe in, in terms of IP and, like, stretching things too thin. Give me the, give me the series, bro. Give me the Mando, but with Duncan. Exactly. Dude, I would fucking kill to see that shit. But, but Brolin, you know, Halleck, he, he is another uh, paternal figure to Paul. 
Um, that training scene, I think, is is a really good sort of baseline scene to kind of establish the characters. And w- one thing this movie does a lot is like it sets up Paul with all these different characters. So like Paul gets a scene with his dad, his mom, with Duncan, with Gurney. Like mm-hmm. he gets kind of one on ones with all these people. And what the movie is accomplishing is it's getting through this heavy exposition setting up not only this crazy sci-fi world, but also all of these like political machinations of all of these different entities like the Empire and House Harkonnen and House Atreides and the Fremen and the Bene Gesserit. Mm-hmm. And also just a conversation between these two people. Who is Paul? Who is Gurney? Mm-hmm. Who are they to each other? Do they like each other? Mm-hmm. How did they talk how do they relate i like i like that gurney comes around to paul like really quick yeah. he's like yeah this kid's cool <laughs> yeah um you just gotta love paul so i will say um the scene <laughs> it's funny i took a video of it and i sent our group chat but from david lynch's dunes you know it's the 80s cgi wasn't what it was then but their version of their shields was that you become like <laughs> block stick figures and you like lightsabers basically and you hit each other and this is the way the shields are depicted are really fucking cool yeah yeah it's like a blue and like red blue and red phaser. but then like you need to get like they specially designed and they didn't even like really explain it it's just something that there's one throwaway line where they're like shields don't stop the slow blade but then you realize that everything in the world has been designed that way so like like missiles will like fly really fast and then get like really slow as they're moving in yeah. and then hit hunter, and hunter seekers up. the hunter seekers it's the like, only part of the movie that feels very digital yeah it, it you know that it especially because the the uh harsh blue and red yeah that, that they well that's in. that's just a great production design to kind of give you that visual yeah, yeah. signifier um, of um, when they're in trouble but yeah that that hunter seeker coming through the fucking wall Ooh, yeah that's scene. a great scene oh, great scene um so good there's enough like even in these scenes that are because there is I will say there is some stuff on Caladan where it was just like alright let's pick it up let's get to fucking Arrakis already like there's like two separate scenes where they're like Paul don't you understand this isn't a good thing that we're taking over Arrakis <laughs> it's like happens twice and I was like alright we could just get to fucking Arrakis I just want to see sand yeah. um, by the way speaking of uh the fact that uh the like like you say this is going to flip the white savior complex on said good thing because my man herbert wasn't the most subdued naming that planet um say say it again arrakis hmm <laughs> arrakis Arrak. yeah oh <laughs> and it's a sand planet uh <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that has a resource that the white people want. Yeah, yeah, it's it's um, interesting watching this movie and and seeing some of like the costume design, like you know the Fremen, like they're obviously very like Middle Eastern, North well, African. Yeah. Also, the the uh, scale of the scale of that a lot of the music is based in is I think it's called like the the double harmonic major scale, something yeah. like that. Where yeah, it's it's the Middle, Middle Eastern, Eastern, North African, yes, yeah, sound exactly. Of course, but I think there is there is some nuance to that because. You know, there it's tough. It's tough to pin it down because it, the the original book was heavily ac- accused of Islamophobia. Um, but I also think that there is some real powerful truth to the way people who live in the desert connect to nature 
and live as part of nature in the desert. And that's something that I think the book captures really well. And I think this movie captures really well. And obviously part two is going to be, oh my God, it's going to explore that to an even greater degree. But the hints that we get here to the Fremen, I think are, are really interesting to the way that like, you know, these, these people have a deep, deep connection to nature, to the desert that is is just a part of them they are one with the desert and i think that that's something that's really powerful and 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 it's not just let's uh otherize and and mm-hmm. and uh it, it, it make these these people as exotic uh beings to just throw into the the story i think they they in some way herbert and Villeneuve are pulling from the culture to create this sci-fi world. Um, and it does get, you know, it gets choppy and it is yeah. weird to see like the all almost all white house Atreides descending upon the almost yeah, all people of color Fremen. Just from like a 10,000 feet view, it's not the the best looking thing in the world. It's better I do, than I Lynn Lynch though, because in Lynch's one, everybody was white. No matter on what yeah. side you were. Uh, um, there's other fundamental problems <laughs> to that movie, but um, <laughs> uh, I do want to know, does part two give justice to uh, whatever the fuck species Stellan Skarsgård is? Does, right. that, does that appropriate that? Let's that talk about lizard, our boy. Floating lizard creature. Baron Slime. He looks like a slug. Uh, full name Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. Are we saying Harkonnen or Harkonnen? Really, one of uh, one of what the only they, characters where like that Harkonnen? character name might as well like you could switch it with his real name and it wouldn't really. <laughs> you know, it's, they're, they're both equally fake. <laughs> I think. I think when I was reading the book, I kept saying Harkonnen, but I think they say Harkonnen, they say Harkonnen? in the movie. Um, so it, we'll go with either one. Whatever. This guy, I think. Might be my favorite thing in the Dude, whole. Dude, I I love the design of him. My favorite, my favorite bit from that uh, Denis interview that he does. When he's talking about, he's just like this. Stellan, he he did eight hours of makeup every morning. I'm not gonna do an accent. Um, he's eight a, he hours of makeup. Eight hours of makeup every morning, and then like he was just like, I just always found the most beautiful version of him was whenever he was completely naked. <laughs> so that's why I knew the first time you see him, it has to be him emerging out of the tub, out of the mm. black tub, and just completely God, naked, Villeneuve or in the so, steam bath. He's so good at these he's like so wild visuals that you've never seen before. Like, okay, Arrival, the wide extreme wide shots of those ships mm-hmm. with the clouds incredible cool never film. seen that before blade runner the fucking phasing of the anna de armas mackenzie davis mm-hmm. makeout scene never seen that before in this movie everything with baron harkonnen everything it literally every frame of this guy fucking floating through the room with like his robe just bellowing. It, uh, yeah. It, you guys, it was like, have you guys it, seen it was what like Baron, Dragon Ball Z or something. Have you guys seen what Baron Harkonnen looks like in the David Lynch version? He's he's got like welts on him. Oh, uh, what are you showing me right now? It's is, is that a person? <laughs> yeah, that's the creature. No way, dude. That can't be the Baron. Is that not Baron? That, I don't know. That does. Baron has to be a human. That's like. <laughs> 
That's like a fucking. I don't even know what that is. That's like a spider wart. Giant. I don't. I don't know what to say. I don't know what that thing is. But I did <laughs> while I was watching the while I was watching Dune. I was like, I don't know what that is, but. I like it. It's I don't know. You know the book, so you can tell me who uh, shows up to the emperor and is just like, "You must kill Paul Atreides." I'm not sure. I'm not I, sure. Maybe that that's just a, a character that's just not in. Uh, yeah, that might be a Lynchism. Uh, well, no, I'm looking mind. up. I'm why looking would on- you want him to adapt? Anything? Oh no. Here's like, why would he? Oh. Here's this is what Baron Harkonnen looks yeah, like. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, he's got like <laughs> welts on idiot. his face. <laughs> the same thing. Harkonnen's showing us thing. like a drawing of a squid. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that is a creature that is in. No, the, I, 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 that's just an ugly guy. I much prefer the Skarsgård version because he's very Skarsgård is very uh, smooth. He's a smooth baron. <laughs> this guy Lynch Lynch's baron is it's very like dis- uh, It's like trying to be gross out. Like it's like there's like some like disgusting things that he does. <laughs> it looks yeah, it looks like, like a repulsive. Verhoeven movie. Like yeah. like like they just put like some shit on his face, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, that's the 80s. <laughs> so is are they bald? Is this race bald in the books? Yes, but it's unclear if they intentionally I, shave. Wh- or if they just are right. bald. I did. I did want to ask. So Dave Bautista, he's dead, right? He dies. Yeah, I, I barely so, even remember. So that is character. Dave Bautista's just his bit is that he comes to be in three minutes of a Denis Villeneuve <laughs> movie and then dies because it's the sure. same exact thing that happens. Blade Runner. Blade Runner. He's like fourth build and then he just shows up and dies within the first five minutes of that movie. <laughs> Um. Very cool. Yeah, dude. I would love. I would thing, kill just for like, that opportunity. I'll come on set for a day and just yeah. get to be in this movie. I do. I will say, um, the one the one thing that is definitely better about Blade Runner twenty forty nine is Dave Bautista in that movie because he, he gets tiny, tiny little glasses. Tiny, gets, tiny gets, glasses. He's just so fascinating in that movie because you're you know he's wearing like normal man clothes. <laughs> yeah, like, you're not normal. You're a fucking. You're an animal. He's yeah, he, trying to no, live in the outskirts scientist. of town. Yeah, he's just a scientist <laughs> with tiny glasses until shit goes wrong. He's just like I have to. I guess I have to punch through a wall now. I don't know. <laughs> that, that was a stroke of genius to make make just casually make that guy the buffest man on earth. So fucking funny. Um. So this might be the third time I've said this during this podcast, but my favorite part of this movie mm-hmm. <laughs> is Javier Bardem <laughs> as uh, Stilgard. The, it's really oh, that's d- another comedic moment. Yeah, get the, him yeah, spit. Yeah. The first time he comes in, he is so like like not into it. He's just like, yeah, I'm really not feeling this vibe here. I like, I don't really <laughs> like you guys. Um, I'm gonna head out. Yeah, <laughs> he just like leaves. Yeah, and then as he's leaving, he's like, hey. Paul, I recognize you. By the way, anyway, later. Yeah, later are guys. you the chosen one? I'll yeah. see you in a uh, part two. Um. Stilgar is again a extremely pivotal character in the second half of the story. I can't wait to see more from Bardem. We barely get him in this movie, but the little we do, I was just like savoring every yeah. second of it. He's so good. He brings so much to this character. He's perfectly cast. I mean, literally. Every character in this movie is perfectly cast. Like they didn't stumble at all with the casting, but but Bardem as Stilgar is one that I just it's just a seamless, you know, hundred percent success rate yeah, kind of thing. I'm I'm excited me. to see a lot more of him. I um, think they should have given him longer hair. I'll say it. He yeah. has like a business cut. Yeah, it's it's a little choppy. I mean, you don't know what it's like in the desert. You know, you don't know what. Do you think he should have had the no country look? Yeah, that's exactly just what I'm thinking. <laughs> Just perfectly cut hair out there. Call it. Um, that guy's an alien. Call one it. quick 
uh, quick thing, just got to throw out there. Uh, already talked about him extensively whenever we talked about um, The Suicide Squad. But our guy, David Desmalkian, in here again, just yeah. having a career year Slimy. Just love that guy. Every time, I've always loved just whenever I see this guy in a project. And great to see him here. There's one name that we notably have not said yet. Who, Zendaya. if you look on the poster, you'd think that she's a big part of the movie, but she does not have a line until there's about seven minutes left in the film. Well, she has the opening monologue, which I think is very telling to start the movie with her opening monologue, kind of bringing you into this world, inviting you to Arrakis and the terror that the Harkonnens have laid upon her and her people. I think that is a stroke of genius to start the movie like that and not with Paul. Um, because it, it lets you know right away what kind of story is being told here. It's not your usual white savior chosen one story. It's it's tipping you off to something different. And even though we don't really full on return to that character until the end with, you know, these like sprinkling of visions throughout, um, it, it sets up for us to connect to Chani more. And I think potentially she's going to be the protagonist of part two I, I think she will sideline timmy so i i get what you're saying about it. it's like important that it starts with her in that monologue and you're right she does like say the whole thing about how like waiting for her next oppressors and that's powerful but she also gives like two and a half minutes of just straight star wars crawl level exposition about this is the world this is the year that we're in these are all the important families and so we like we need that people yeah need no no, no. It's, i'm not saying that we don't need that like i don't mind a fucking crawl to just kind of set me in the setting of a world i don't mind that but like i can't like it kind of takes away a little bit from like we're starting from like a place of like just waiting for our next oppressors. And then we have to listen to like three minutes where my brain is just kind of like, I I'll figure it out on the fly. Just, I can't listen to what you're saying. That's anymore. honestly why the, why I always hated the star Wars crawls too. It's like, it's like, you really want me to memorize all this and then well, watch a movie. And here's the thing is like, remembering it. Here's the thing. And <laughs> I, feel so the, I feel the same way about star Wars movies as I do about this crawl. Didn't need it. I could have just get dropped up in the world and been like, okay, there's the good family that we like. There's the bad family. Here's the foreign world that we're going into. Got it. Good. Don't need any of that. But and I get it's for it's for fucking mass audiences for stupid people. Yeah, but, but do stupid people listen to anything for three straight minutes? You don't have to when get people, every detail of it. Listeners, when you're listening to our podcast, how often are you fully tuned into everything that we are saying the entire time? You don't need every detail of what she's saying. All you need are the visuals of the Harkonnens attacking the Fremen. You need that visual to and to establish the setting of Arrakis. And you need the general idea that she is a Fremen and she's being oppressed by the Harkonnens and that they're leaving now. Cut to next oppressor, Timothy Chalamet. That's really all you need. I get no. I just, I just. I, it's better than the crawls. Yeah, crawls are just of a course. wall of text. Anything is better than a wall of text, of course. And what is right this guy away, George Lucas fucking doing? <laughs> like he's he sucks, man. Right away, right away, you are hit with what this movie does best, which is visuals and sound. From the very beginning, you are let in. It's like we are hitting the ground running with the most incredible shit you've ever seen and heard and it doesn't stop for two and a half hours like there's so many 
scenes, including that opening prologue that are just like hashtag visually stunning. I, like, holy the, shit. I No, I'm not disagreeing with any of that, but I just like I there's just some stuff where it's like maybe like one vision too many that are like almost like borderline like pixie dream girls in day just walking as the sunlight hits her face sure. without yeah. saying anything Perfume like ad. it's yeah no it's just like i and i don't know how you i think that that's one of those things where it's like when people say oh the book is unadaptable because of all these visions and everything that's probably what one of the things that people are referring to is how do you do that oh, it gets without being crazier without being book. corny or without being like way too fucking trippy in in the book Paul constantly is tripping, sending his mind through time, seeing alternate futures and completely different scenarios of how things are going to play out. That's like, sick. like there is just so many moments where he's just like detached from the present moment and his mind is traveling. Um, you're right. Like the, those moments because I, I I roll my eyes a lot at sci fi and I rolled my eyes a lot less watching this than I have watching any um movie of similar scale but i think that you could also say there's a good chance that all those visions of zendaya and her in the very beginning uh it's so that you can say it's a zendaya movie yes <laughs> because that's the other lie they told they didn't tell anyone it was a part one they also didn't tell anyone that zendaya is not in this movie yeah until um, because the very end yeah because zendaya has easily the the most pull of anyone in this movie period it's, and it's not mm -hmm. close mm -hmm. uh if you look at her socials uh it's like it is an unheard of amount of of eyes that she can reach if she yeah. says i'm in this dune movie and it's also it's not like fans of fucking javier bardem or whatever it's people who probably wouldn't go fucking see dune who wouldn't go hey, see like you know any else, movie you know what else did the same exact lie was the first spider-man spider-man homecoming yeah she's barely in she's that. barely yeah. in that fucking movie but she's second build in that movie and you're like huh i almost feel like peter isn't gonna make it work out yeah. with this other girl who's in yeah. here <laughs> yeah <laughs> michael michael fucking crazy surprise daughter um it's also um like you said, she's very, very clearly going to be all over the second yeah. movie. Um, that's, you know, that's Huge. without a doubt. Even not, even not having read the book, you watching it being like, okay, okay, so she is the shepherd of the second movie. Yeah. Like she is the, you know. Well, the the thing about part two is it it has to skip forward in time a good bit. Like there is a significant time jump and we pick up later. I mean, I, I want to give away too much, but like it's it's not exactly after this like there they can they can do a time jump and and the the way the chani character evolves is significant um there's two smaller characters that i want to make sure we bring up though um sharon duncan brewster as dr leet kinds oh yeah the ecologist awesome. um she rocks she is again another one i would have liked more time with because yeah. There's just so much there about this person that is like, uh, you know, linked to the empire, but also has her own personal allegiance and sees herself more aligned with the Fremen I wanted, than with yeah. House Atreides. I wanted her to, spoiler alert, live. <laughs> yeah, so she dies, uh, which she also <laughs> dies in the book. Um, so I knew that one was coming. 
But the way they do it in the movie, I think, is really good. You know, with her like kind of about to ride the worm. Yeah. Oh, Kevin, you're like so, you're like God, ride the fucking worm. Yeah, we to ride the worm. No, but then her I, death is also cool. As yeah, we haven't talked about the the tools on this world are really fucking cool. Yeah, really thumper. well realized the thumper just and then she just starts banging on the ground to get worm to come over worm to her. Sign. Um, the sand compactor, which I don't don't that, ask me how that works. That's the coolest. But it's just like I can make a little hole i can make a little divot wherever i go i just in my mind it works the way that sound waves are able to affect you know if, if you have a bunch of sand on a speaker you can make it yeah that's the little so, mouse that that they pick up on it that's walking outside oh cute little guy oh that's such a good bit um that's one of those moments in the movie that like there are more moments like that in the book and I'm not saying I wish we would have gotten more in the movie, but like, I'm glad that we got that one yeah. where you see the direct connection to nature yeah. and the fact that this little tiny mouse can survive mm-hmm. in this desert. It just see tells it you so much. Yeah. You see all that sweat like, dripping down oh. and recycling it. Um, I was confused during that scene though, because I, I thought that that little mouse was Timothy Chalamet. Mm-hmm. Well, it is. Oh, Muadib. He's doing Muad both. Muadib yeah. means little mouse. Mm. Or maybe you know, there's going to be some dune heads screaming at me. Is that it? Do you know, the, I mean, the, the direct dude, do you know how stupid I've been selling this whole podcast to and someone who's read Dune? <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. Um, I love relax. I love the still suits. Really cool. Drink your pee pee. Um, so, okay. I need to talk about this for a second. So okay. you don't drink your pee pee is what so you're saying. So in this movie. You have Dr. Kynes specifically as she's putting on the still suits on House Atreides. She says the suits turn your sweat and tears into drinking water. And she does not say pee pee, pee, pee and poo poo. Zero stars canceled. <laughs> what? So is that is that in the book? Do they specify yes. like of shit? Course, in this of thing? course, man. Like, yes. What are you going to take it off? The more shit, the better. I need a diagram and a David Fincher style zoom in. Yeah, like panic room the, style going through the suit. The pee-pee and the poo-poo An uncut gem style. <laughs> yeah, I was know. waiting for that you in know. this movie. That was the thing I was most excited about. Here's, here's the moment where it should have happened is when they're in the sand tent and he, Rebecca Ferguson wakes up and he's like, you need some water. And she drinks it and she makes a face and, and he should go, that's my poop. <laughs> I mean, come on. I, like, that's the whole point of these suits is that they they capture It's like the all. greatest filtration ever. Why do you yeah. think they don't talk about the poop? <laughs> this is a real question because I was thinking that too. I was like, well, you're not shitting outside of the suit. Yeah, you're like, not like, hold on, guys. Let me wrangle this thing off real it's quick. Recycling they say that everything. you get dehydrated in like two minutes without this thing on. Does it, so. turn the, does it turn the physical part of the waste into like a cliff bar? <laughs> That's a great question. I think there there might just be like it has to just like break it down. No, there, just I think there's, the liquid. there's probably like a thigh compartment that's just a brick. <laughs> it's just a, of like all the moisture's been sucking out, so it's just like just like a fucking brick of shit. Yeah, you just have to, <laughs> just dried out feces. That's literally what a cliff bar is to me. <laughs> I fucking hate those. I I was seriously waiting. I I could have. I, I honestly don't know if I would have like this but i could have maybe used a scene where they're like they're putting the still suits on and they're like yeah it filters out all of your 
uh, bodily fluids. And, and, and someone's Timmy's like, like, all of them? Oh, yeah. And she's like, yes. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Wink, wink. Yeah. Rebecca Ferguson. She's just like beating off in the suit. Like, fucking. <laughs> just, he said everything. <laughs> I mean, I, I yep. think. Do you have any pineapple? <laughs> I think the. I think the Fremen. Nice apricot for me to. The Fremen culture probably. This. Probably do not like to masturbate because it's a waste of moisture. Yeah. It doesn't go towards anything if it's not for uh, Man, reproduction. So sex, like you're just like, are you trying to be like as efficient as possible? Or are you like Look, worried about like absorbing the sweat from each other? I'm, I'm confident Frank Herbert wrote extensive additional Do you think documents that his about publishers this? were like, <laughs> Sir, you cannot publish this. Like he we can't cannot fuck his mom, <laughs> Frank. Maybe they, maybe they just like look at there each is, other a little bit. No, well, there is that one look, and I was like, "What's happening here, mommy?" No, sorry, mommy. No, <laughs> dude. <I'm- laughs> Um, so um, yeah, I was I was born to, I was bummed about the the lack of, lack uh, of extensive detail about the still suits, but I was glad. And uh, it was funny because like Lee and I saw this together, and as as we were walking into the screener, she said something about like walking in the sand, and I was like, well, actually, oh boy, they have a specific way pattern that they walk on the sand and so when they said that in the movie and they explained it she like squeezed my mm. hand and she was like hey look so it's the sand but, walk but they don't do it all the Good time job, sweetie. and maybe that's just because they didn't want they were like we have all these actors we don't have them have them like stupidly prancing around that the would desert be that would be time. really funny <laughs> but like at the very end they're just like walking in a straight line through the desert are they not in worm territory I think, then like I think they might some have sand, safe sand I think they might have enough like worm uh, worm repellent devices that like they don't have to. F- well, they're riding the worms. At yeah, a certain they, they point, ride they don't those need worms, to. They, they want that worm. Well, even worm. not even just that. There is some points with Timmy and Rebecca Ferguson where they like start to do the sandwalk and it cuts them just like walking side by side with each other. They're like, well, that was stupid. Yeah, I guess, yeah. We'll, <laughs> I guess we'll just get eaten now. I don't know. I don't want to keep doing Fucking that. run. <laughs> <laughs> So why did they run there? I was confused in that scene. What what was wrong with the sand? It was like sal- shallow. They were like on rock. Yeah. Or something. So the the worm just it it starts to suck up the sand. So the sand becomes it's like a riptide essentially. Mm-hmm. It just like sucks them in as the worm gets closer. So as they get to the rocks, they can just chill on the rocks and they won't get sucked in. Oh well, just because like they like he felt hard sand and then was like we have to dead sprint. I think now. I th- I. I don't know. I was under the impression that it's because that sand was so compacted that it like them stepping made a huge, you know, reverberation in the ground. Mm, Okay, that makes sense. I don't know. Yeah, that makes sense. Honestly, I wasn't really worried about because I knew that we were about to see worm. So that's all I cared about. Um, Oh, one more piece of uh, tech that I loved was the ships. Little dragonfly ships. Omnithopters. That's okay. Uh, excuse you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're called Omnithopters. Are, are they're going to be like a bunch of like six year olds? Like, Daddy, please give me an Omnithopter Those from Toys are R Us. So fucking cool. Like when you examine flying creatures in nature, mm-hmm. you realize that dragonflies are the best flying creatures. Dragonflies are sick as hell. It yeah, also like cool as fuck. It also makes perfect sense why like it would take us thousands of years to be able to do that because to make 
wings quote unquote uh gyrate up and down that quickly would make the entire flying yeah. device gyrate up now because dragonfly's wings weigh literally nothing the um the scene where uh Timmy goes into the storm. So I was thinking about you in that scene. I was thinking about you seeing Mad Max and yeah. us seeing Mad Max together. I was like, man, Ernst just is a sucker for anything with a big storm. Yeah, when you give drive me big into storm, big storm, big sandstorm. Uh, and that was that was a great moment where he just like turns off the engine and he's just like, I'm just going to vibe through this. Just we're just going to we're just, just going to flow. <laughs> and Jessica's like, huh? The sun, <laughs> You're going to do what now? <laughs> Uh, but she trusts him because she made him. She engineered him. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. I also oh, wanted... Like, fucking okay. I wanted to shout out uh, Dr. Yue, uh, played by Cheng Chen, the betrayer yeah. of House Atreides. Um, this is this is a great character. I wish we'd have gotten more. In, in the book, they there's more mystery as to who is the betrayer. There's an entire section of the book where... Different characters are doubting each other's loyalty, and there's a lot of suspense yeah. as to who is the betrayer. There's an extended banquet sequence where everybody is there in the same room, and everybody's fucking trying to poke each other, and it's amazing. And they actually shot it, uh, or a version of it. Uh, that didn't make it into the final movie man i hope we see this is a i'm you know i'm not like a sci-fi director's cut type of guy but man i'm gonna watch the director's i know dude holy moly every second i hope i hope it's four hours Mm -hmm. but uh, it's like the fucking snyder i just god (laughs) i hope they give him more money (laughs) but that is i mean we can't keep saying it over and over again which is funny because it's just it's not what the criticism was going into this movie from like a lot of uh, film critics who saw this film early. A lot of people's problem with this was it's too expansive of a story and they needed to kind of trim down in order to fit this into one film. I think that what we're saying here is that this should have been at least a fucking trilogy and yeah. to actually have space for everything because the beautiful thing about this movie is that it does actually give these characters and these ideas some time to breathe. Yeah, patience. Like, this is a patient they're, movie. They're, it, it sounds weird to say for a movie that has this much going on in it, that it has patience, but within a scene, there is patience, even if there isn't much patience in the story itself. Yeah, that right. Makes sense. Like, like conversations move slowly. There are emotional beats uh, from moment to moment. It, and that, yeah, it's that's really fucking important, man. Like, I, it's hard to watch movies that don't do that to be frank, unless it's replaced by like good comedy or good action. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Just to, to keep the, the mind busy. That's what these Marvel movies do so well is they have a quota yeah. of jokes per minute, because if your mind starts to wander and you realize that you're looking at gray cement mm. for two hours, then you won't like the movie. Yeah. Well, also, uh, you know, if you're watching a Marvel movie where the jokes are landing, then that's great. Like you're watching your Eternals coming next weekend. <laughs> I think I think homecoming notable stand up uh, Chloe Zhao <laughs> homecoming is an example of a of a movie that has a pretty good joke hit rate. I think I think uh, the script on that one's pretty tight. And also it has, you homecoming? know, Spider-Man, Spider-Man homecoming. Yeah, I think the hit rate is good. I think that it has like a, a B minus storyline. 
Yeah, but it has it has all of the and high school. Tom Holland. It has a lot of the high good. school movie humor. Tom Tom Holland what? might not be very good. What do you mean? He's good as what do you Spider-Man. He's good Spider-Man. Yeah, what he's do you good mean? Spider-Man. Well, what what are we watching? We're watching Spider-Man. Evaluating him in the pantheon of actors. Yeah. Oh my. I'm just like he's not he's not disgusting monstrous Alfred Molina. He's not sexy hunk. But he's uh, just like he's like he's Michael J. Fox. He's he's going to forever be a little boy, and that's going to ruin his, yeah. the second half of his career. Like, yeah, he will never not be like five foot flat in my mind. But um, yeah, Doctor Ua I think is perfect in that role because it's not like you immediately see him as a treacherous betrayer. Mm-hmm. It's not like as soon as that guy enters the screen, you're like, oh, no, man, I thought he was, I thought he was great. Yeah, no, the, it's and a he also setup. like, he, even after finding out he's a traitor, you're like, yeah, I get it. Like, yeah, he feels bad, but yet he gives him the poison pill. Like, you know, you're like, yeah, that's okay. And, and then he, and then he, he sets gets. up the, um, the little like, uh, cargo for them to survive in the yeah. desert the little care package in the in yeah the ship. like uh you, you get it you you get that dude that moment where we're cutting between their them escaping and uh, the duke facing off with the baron and we're kind of cutting back oh, yeah. and forth that's a very very effective moment and they time the death of the duke with paul seeing the ring oh Mm-hmm. That was perfect. Yeah, that was a, mm-hmm. that that all rocked. All the scenes in that, yeah, in the, like the lair of of these dudes, you know, where they're where at least like where they're keeping the Baron in the, in his little tub. Yeah, um, those scenes all rule, and they, you know, the comp for them in Villeneuve's catalog is the scenes uh, in Jared Leto's area of Blade Runner. Yeah, and though I, those scenes like don't work super well for me. A lot of it is Jared Leto. I don't want to blame it all on him. Um, they're they're just weird scenes. The look is there. Well, I mean, I mean, I think Skarsgård just he fucking brings it here. Like yeah. he's so slimy it, it's, and yeah, gross. Exactly. The, and I, posing. He's like he's like physically threatening. Yeah. He's fucking humongous and he can yeah. float, man. Like <laughs> it, like Big when he it, when he kills that doctor, it's fuck. It's freaky. Like he floats over to. It's amazing. Imposing. Just, just eating is. <laughs> yeah. I also wanted to shout out the Sardaukar army. These guys who live like on a prison planet that are being like bred to be warriors mm-hmm. and the design of their suits and the way they descend oh, down yeah. from yeah. the sky. It's like fucking stormtroopers. Like it's, it's yes, really fucking cool. But but it's also not stormtroopers. Like that's the thing. That's that's like. That's another thing from that DGA pod is is Denise says that Star Wars was the elephant in the room when they were designing this mm-hmm. movie mm-hmm. that they needed to acknowledge the fact that Star Wars pulled from Dune without just regurgitating, just throwing everything right. back into the sausage. Oh, maker. no, there's a lot more of a martial arts point to and like something else that's smart is that like there's no guns in this yeah, world it's all it's swords very martial arts yeah. based there are some guns but no handheld guns. yeah well it's like guns off of like yeah. the yeah. little flyers it, it, and, and like it that. yeah it is so much just a choice of keeping uh action interesting because yes. guns are not digital they're yeah. very mechanical but devices. just the, the visual the visual and and kind of like mechanical design of like something like the sardaukar like the, again that that descent down um that the way that's shown, the way that's depicted, I've never seen it like that. I've yeah. seen things similar to that. That's the whole thing with this movie. Is like we've seen similar things, but the way they're accomplished 
arc brand new. Yeah, I've also I've never seen it all look so good yeah. like i've you know you see movies where like one sequence will look incredible they all look incredible yeah like that i i, I that's what swept me up when uh structure wise things weren't ideal like yeah I, it's just the visually it's just i mean hey yeah it's like i got, got it i like it's, it's an, and also just appreciating the miracle that they pulled off in making the audience like it not just yeah. like us you know With such a hard ask of a world hard ask of a world non-ideal structure from a storytelling standpoint yeah. very non-ideal po- political machinations between all of these different entities and then internal conflict within i don't know the end and then it doesn't end on like an ultimately satisfying note and yet most people still liked it and want more i would Mm -hmm. yeah i i would expect if i had seen it not knowing how people felt i would expect much more negativity just because it is an incomplete thing and they you know people bought in and it's that can go one of two ways because the (laughs) ideal outcome of that is that it ends and they're like holy shit i can't wait for the next one uh, but that's usually not what happens. Right. I was just curious because I wanted to look it up and see. Um, this is like don't I don't recommend to audiences to see this because this isn't a barometer of if a movie is good or not. But this movie had an A minus cinema score, solid, which is good for a hard sci fi movie. Yeah, this shit's like good. Like the shit that gets A's is like kids movies yeah. or like yeah, like it's kids movies. It's Hard sci-fi in the sense, like fucking Venom had a B. (laughs) Like it's not. Yeah, hard sci-fi in the sense that this is not a movie that is appealing directly to children. Like the Marvel movies are definitely like, you know, for for all ages, adults, but. They have to appeal to little little. They're gonna children. sell toys. Yeah, I this, mean that's it's yeah, they're corporate. The, this, Marvel this is, is good kids movies. Yeah, we can we're allowed to say that when like, I, it's just like really good. Kids yeah, movies. and it's for ki- adult. It's for adult children. Well, it's kids <laughs> movies that are so good that like an adult could watch. Yeah, it. exactly. Like, and that's ultimately, not, that's it's not for, even like a wholly negative thing. Like shit, I think that we all had soul on our top ten of the year last year. So yeah, exactly. Like Pixar a negative is the same thing. thing. Like yeah, yeah, absolutely. When um before we started recording, we asked. Uh, Lee, her tweet length review, and she said it's everything she was waiting for. And I think what she meant by that is that we need more movies that lean hard into genre storytelling, sci-fi movie making on a massive, massive scale that are not aimed at children. Mm-hmm. That is what she means by that. Adult mm. sci-fi movie making yeah is so hard to come by yeah it needs movies that are not concerned with that entire set of of the age and and still get the big big budget production which is like there's you know there's a reason why we don't have much of that because that's hard and the fact that this did that is crazy Crazy. you know what's it's interesting because like I'm, i'm thinking about it as we're having this discussion but how many times do we talk about a movie on this podcast where it's a filmmaker who we like really really love and it's just like cool like i like love chloe Zhao. i'm really excited that she's doing eternals can't wait for her to get that check so she can go back to making the small original <laughs> stories like that's normally what we're doing all yeah. the time and the thing is make like, your money and then go back the to, thing is like denis know. is just like he's the best big budget yep. filmmaker that we have right now and like i want him not to say that i don't want him 
to like only ever do IP things again, because I think that we'll eventually get mixed returns on that. Um, and not to mention I, his original films are still my personal favorites of his, but he gets the big IP better than anybody else does at making things. He at making a true capital elf capital F film. <laughs> yes. That just is also inherently a big blockbuster movie because yeah. of the quality and, so, and the stars and everything else that he's able to bring in quality wise is enough to propel it into yeah. being a box and, office hit. And still plays the IP game. That's the thing about dude is like Warner. They're like, we've got all these DC superheroes. What else we got? We got Dune. All right, let's keep scraping the bottom of the fucking barrel. And like they could have easily just fucking put out a mediocre Dune movie to hold on to the rights and just try to like half-ass a cinematic universe to try to, you know, you know, mm. bleed their fucking IP dry of every dollar they, they could. But by bringing in Villeneuve and his creative team, they did something more. And I think that what this movie is doing, despite its issues, because I do think that as a movie, it is, you know, incomplete and, and it's its main character arc is incomplete. It is fundamentally advancing the genre and the industry, because I'm seeing things in this movie that I've never seen before in my life. It, it's also well, it's it's generally pretty well known it's like this isn't like some conspiracy theory that uh one part of why marvel chooses such unqualified directors is that that gives them more control over the movies mm -hmm. because you're literally asking someone to do a lot that they've never done yeah. this is a villain new movie for sure yeah this is a guy who yeah this was this was his goal like getting into you know like filmmaking like this this wasn't a byproduct of some success that he had from yeah. something completely yeah, he different. didn't go from enemy to this no right. he went in and like he and I think he honestly did learn from Blade Runner 2049 because that movie wasn't a success because it is a lot more generally boring than this movie was mm -hmm. like it is. That movie is incredible and I loved it. It's boring. That's fine. Um, and Arrival is just like it's in a, it's a whole different class of movie. Arrival is uh, not concerned with action. You know, it's the Arrival is not at all about action. So can we do a quick, I, a quick little gonna, Villeneuve yeah, quick rankings? rankings. I think I think um, I'd still put Blade Runner number one, then Dune, then Arrival, then <sighs> my heart says Enemy, so I guess I'll go Enemy. Go with your heart. Then Sicario, Prisoners. Um, I think that's all I've seen. I haven't seen Insomnies, yeah, or any of his other French films. Um, so for me, um, longtime listeners of the pod know Enemy is my number one. Enemy is one of my favorite movies of the last decade. Um, that's my number one in my heart with a bullet. Number two, I'd have Arrival. <sighs> number three is where it kind of gets interesting for me because that's my clear top two. Then I think I might do Dune. Do Dune. Um, yeah, I think I'd go... Dune, Blade Runner, Sicario, Prisoners. I like, I really like Prisoners, but I haven't seen that movie in a while because that movie is like very fucking depressing and yeah. upsetting. It's I just haven't revisited movie. that in a while. You guys are cowards. <laughs> Dune, Dune. 
do number one. Oh! Whoa, what? What? Whoa! God, shit. It's fully fucking spice-filled over yeah, this here. This movie's cool as fuck. Eyes are, are you guys bright blue. You know what? I, 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 did you, just, yeah, I, did you I, watch the movie? Like... I get there are a million critiques that are all right about this movie, and it still is like the coolest thing I've seen with my eyes in a movie theater. Yeah. Period. For like, sure. I don't. Jesus. I don't, you're the most spice filled. I know, I never, man. I don't like shit like this. The the amount of imagination and creativity that went into the visuals, even if they're just faithfully adapting a lot of what Herbert described, they accomplished it. It doesn't look like shit. Nothing fell apart visually. You're in the world fully. I, the reason that I am usually not visually inclined is because especially in, uh, budget heavy movies, if you pay attention really hard to the visuals, they fucking fall apart in front of your eyes. Any of the newer star Wars movies, uh, do this. Like, you you really look and you're you start to laugh a little bit yeah. this movie that you know there there aren't those moments it's just like gorgeous man uh i expect the second movie is going to be better oh, for dude, sure because I, there's a lot i of i definitely do. Um, i cannot um, wait my, my number two is arrival which i i love to death i've seen it like probably five or six times um it's a bit preachy See, I actually, I disagree. I actually think Arrival is like, I think objectively, my, I know I have Enemy as my number. I think Arrival is his best made movie. I think Arrival is actually perfect. I've Wait, what do you it. disagree with? No, that I think that uh, that you said that's preachy. Yeah. I actually don't find it to be preachy. I think that it's like, it's aged so fucking well. I guess, I guess we disagree. <laughs> yeah, see, I did. I, I, <laughs> I disagree. Um, I disagree. Just yeah, it's also that's also an adaptation, correct? Of a short story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um I haven't seen Sicario. I love Enemy. Sicario kicks ass. Oh wait, no, I I mean I meant I love Prisoners. Enemy didn't really hit me the right way when I saw it. Um the way that it did with you, Hunter. I I Enemy, I watched that movie like once a year. <laughs> it, it to me like it was a movie, movie where if you were to take out 3 shots i.e. The, the spider shots that movie is just flat bad and like including the spider makes it way more interesting but like it's not dude it's jake gyllenhaal versus jake gyllenhaal i don't know what more i like i don't know what more you could possibly want from a movie than that i don't know it's, it's <laughs> like it's like you know take out the spiders that movie blows i want to rewatch prisoners i remember like hugh jackman just being unbelievable but also like just like I hated that, myself after I watched. Yeah, that movie. movie is really interesting because same it, year as Enemy, both 2013 releases. It has a lot more of a procedural feel to it than you would expect from mm-hmm. Villeneuve. Yeah, like find, it, find the kids. I, yeah, it's, the it's about, like an incredible episode of Law and Order. That's the thing about Sicario. Sicario is the bones of a movie that you've seen before, but it's also the best possible fucking version of that genre. Like I just. He's the king of genre, man. Sicario is amazing. Sicario is like Sicario is also perfect. Like I much, I much more prefer sci-fi villain noob though. Even though, like, I love all the other stuff as well. I, I think he's operating on another level at this point. Well, this is how you do it, man. He did yeah. like his 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 first delving into it. I haven't seen Incendies or anything before that, uh, but in our eyes, his first it's an upward trajectory. His first delving into sci-fi is like I said, just like very, very small parts of enemy. Right. Yeah. Um, which by the way, look so fucking good. 
those shots. Yeah. And Dude, also the I, color palette of that movie is just And also I'm gonna tell you right now, I know I'm wrong about Enemy Hunter. <laughs> I can't watch it again. I need to Here's have the thing, things. I that feel it, like I'm on Enemy Island because people like just don't give a shit about enemy. Everybody's just like, yeah, enemy, the worst in E movie. No, I'm like, what? It's, it's not about what? being right or wrong. It's just doppelganger movies are like Dude, it's just th- a, there's there's a lot of them out there, is all I'm gonna say. Well, if you want a doppelganger yeah, okay, movie, like there's the there's been a, the best one. <laughs> You're not allowed to do that. I don't think you're allowed. To. It's almost as if uh, it's just another side of him. That's being, like it's like yeah, I get it. Like I get it. I know. I know every doppelganger enemy? movie fucking ever. And here's the thing about he, enemy is that, and this sounds like I'm gonna talk shit about enemy, but again, this is like one of my favorite movies ever. Enemy is the greatest film school movie ever made. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is you so can pick film it apart it's, seven different ways. Yeah, yeah, but like I don't care. I just don't yeah. care. It just makes me happy. Yeah, he used to be a piece of shit. <laughs> He's not anymore. Yeah. I need to rewatch Blade Runner twenty four nine. To be honest with you, Ernest, I just I haven't rewatched that movie since it came out because. I know it's like only three hours long, but I remember feeling like it was like four and a half hours long. <laughs> yeah, I think that where that movie stumbled and why it didn't make money is because it's too patient it's well it's not it's not even just patient it's dreary it's it's very and like that's by design like the tone of it is like very just sort of like dour and sad like it's it's like a bummer but like to to sustain that in a really cool looking movie for like three hours you're like man i want things to pick up a little but the thing is like i actually and i i feel like weird that i feel like i'm coming across like more low on dune than you guys and i still like really really love this movie but like i think about Dune and I think about Blade Runner in kind of similar ways where Blade Runner has some of the most like arresting imagery that I've ever seen in my entire life. The fucking sex scene with Joy is unbelievable. The scene with Ryan Gosling and um um Harrison Ford, Harrison Ford fighting each other. Yeah. It's just like some of just like stupid fucking good looking movie. Yeah. I mean, Roger Deakins, he's a king. Movie the color palette is beautiful. But there's some plot issues that I have. And it doesn't. It's kind of an uneven final product. I, I think Blade Runner, it ties the bow much neater than Dune. It, well, it's it a gets, complete story. Yeah, it yes, gets it to ends. the point yeah. and, and you find finality with every character in that story. Um, After three hours, you better. <laughs> Dune, I'd be pissed if that arc wasn't completed. Dune doesn't do that. Although Dune has more moments where I felt more kind of jolted into being like holy shit this is something brand new mm. that i've never seen exactly it's much more ambitious yeah. than blade runner even like, blade runner which is a very very ambitious movie but dune is blows yeah, up the still, for ambition. yeah 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 the the scene of arrakis being attacked by the harkonnens like when when all hell is descending and everything's exploding and the score, the Zimmer score is just fucking blaring bagpipes on blast. I'm like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. Like, it, this is fucking incredible. The bagpipes rock. Um, it, it, it reminds me of the um, the insane amount of horns at the very end of Hereditary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the, it, it like because that that Amen. score, like people use it in like fucking TikToks and shit. And every time I hear that, I'm like, stop. Turn to, oh, my God. <laughs> fuck. It's. It's funny that you picked uh, Dune as your number one uh, villain new because, uh, Drew, you got 
first pick for the director draft and guess because i you're you caught me um just trying to pump up my man so <laughs> we got to do a little director draft check-in right now before we wrap right up. now oh my god no. okay yeah motherfucker <laughs> so i'm riding pretty high i'm feeling pretty Being married in two days i have shit to do congrats um, <laughs> so dune dune marks uh a big moment for our director draft that we did in early 2020 we did like what two weeks before the world shut down yeah. and <laughs> now finally know? things are starting to really come out again and drew you're looking you're looking great right now with dune i got tenet and and you got tenet yeah because you got <laughs> hey you know Nolan. what you can keep that one i will buddy i'll let you have that i one. enjoyed it i had a good time um you also got mank in there because you got Fincher. hell yeah look at you buddy <laughs> well mank is the best of the three <laughs> You think I'm joking? <laughs> no, I just know you're wrong. <laughs> you oh oh oh. Uh, Hunter, let's see, let's see who you got coming up. You got a Chazelle. Yeah, that's next year with Babylon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, nope, with Jordan Peele. I looked back at my list. I'm still I'm I'm happy with. We all did really choices. well. Kugler, yeah, uh, you got Black Panther two. Yeah, talk um, about somebody who knows the IP machine. Uh, I guess you got half of. Uh, Tragedy of Macbeth. Yeah. With Joel so that Cohen. Counts. That, that counts. Uh, Indiana Jones 5 with James Mangold. Uh, French Dispatch is coming out. So you got Wes Anderson in there. My boy Wes. Um, and here's how mine's looking. Uh, Northman, Bobby Eggers. That's around the corner. I fucking hope so. That is going to be something. Uh, Greta Gerwig's Barbie. Mm-hmm. Hey. <laughs> PTA, Licorice Pizza. Mm-hmm. Um, the Batman, uh, Matt Reeves, mm-hmm. dude, I, yo, the fucking trailer for the Batman in theaters. Oh, dude, your upcoming slate is looking yeah, strong. Oh, I got, I got Edgar, Edgar Wright. So that oh, okay. gives me last, last night, night in Soho, uh, West side story with my boy Spiel Spielberg. You can have that one as well. Um, Macquarie. So I got both mission movies under my belt mm-hmm. once they come out. And yeah, those are both guaranteed to be like eights. And I also got Bo Burnham. So I'm going to go ahead and slot inside, uh, yeah, right sure, under my not? belt as I'll well. Keep it. Um, cause who knows what else we'll get from our guy. Um, but yeah, with, with Dune, Villeneuve is on the board and part two is slated for 2023. So I Who think. Who else did you have on your list, Drew? Safties, Bong Joon Ho, Lord and Miller, oh, Taika, Oof. Alex Garland. Come on now, uh, Noah Bombeck and Alfonso Cuarón. Oh God, I wish that oh. I got Bombeck. Bombeck was me? the one. I feel like got each him of really our, late. Even each of our lists like kind of say something about our shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's Dune, boys. We did it. We made it to Arrakis. We almost rode a sandworm. But we'll get to it next time. We yeah, we saw someone. Two. We saw someone so far away, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was so far away to the point where you're like, "Is that the person I saw die earlier?" Yeah, maybe, I can't, I can't quite tell. I I can't wait to see more from this world, oh, from this story. There was also there was a moment in uh, toward the beginning of this movie. This is so out of place, though. But um, when they're they're riding in the freaking dragonfly copter, uh, to go see the the spice. You know, refining rig yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Oscar Isaac is driving it, and the ecologist says to him, If you get a little higher, you'll have a better view. Yeah. Wink. <laughs> wink to audience. Smile at camera. 
<clears throat> Better pop an edible. Listen, much recommend. I'm gonna watch it again, and I'm gonna. I'm not gonna be wonder, so objective the way I was this time. Here's the thing: is that I want to watch it from home. I want to see how this plays from home. Me too. I I'm, know. I'm gonna. I'm gonna put it on. Yeah, especially because like. Because, like, I'm not going to watch this, like, all the time with just, like, no. fully loud as shit. I know. Like, I, <laughs> Especially because ranking, if I were to rank uh, how I feel about Villeneuve's movies just on, like, a numerical scale, this would not be number one. It has way more flaws than most of his other movies, actually. Yeah. It just... But the promise of that part two, I think, is a huge... Yeah. yeah. Well, and also huge just, caveat. And also the the disbelief of how well he pulled off what he did in this movie it just it outweighs everything else to me i think this is swinging for the fences it's genuinely rounding out to home run and we love the atlanta i like it and (laughs) like i like it i'm not i forget the sci-fi crowd generally likes it there are plenty of people who don't and just like random audience people like it i do i i produce a podcast for a local nba player and he was tweeting about dune in a pot he was like he's going to iraq yeah and he like liked it he was like y'all seen dune man that ending like (laughs) In what world? Amazing. In what yeah. world does someone yeah. accomplish this in, yeah. in in a movie? It doesn't happen. When, when was the last time we had a movie like this that was uh, bleeding into the the overall well, public? I don't know. It's so here's, here's imagine imagine people that, caring about Ad Astra, right? No, well, not even because that's <laughs> I I joked about at the beginning about Avatar, but like that's kind of reminded me a little bit of Avatar. Of course, it isn't doing the gangbuster numbers Avatar did because we're in a different world, but. It also, what do you guys think is going to be the like Oscar contention for this movie? Because I like all the technical. Categories. Here's the thing is that I almost didn't take the. I almost took this movie in our uh, film draft and I didn't because I didn't know how audiences were going to receive it. And people really fucking love this movie. Yeah. It's going to sweep all the technical categories this year. The Academy is moving to a set 10 nominees, not it can get up for to 10 picture. nominees. It is set at 10 nominees. Dune is a lock for best picture. I'm going to tell you that right now. Like it's, it's getting nominated. To get nominated. Picture. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it's not going to win, but it'll- the Academy needs fucking people to tune in. And if this is a monstrous hit, then, bang yeah. you got it dune in yeah dune in baby i could just see this being like it could be this year's mank where it gets nominated <laughs> for 11 nominations where it gets nominated just to please the, the <laughs> yeah. masses yeah just because otherwise fucking here's the thing is that i just i want credit is that I the sandworm that's the sandworm the sandworm is gonna emerge <laughs> stellan skarsgård is gonna like descend on the stage of the academy awards and just say like i i want credit for my performance <laughs> coming out of a tub of oil <laughs> like floating above everyone what if he came out of would you like make more if he emerged out of like a tub of whiskey it's <laughs> just like i yes. i just i, I want credit <laughs> yes i don't know if you even watched me <laughs> i think this is all a joke i think that's all you know about. <laughs> all right we gotta here's the thing he just he just wants credit will somebody please just give me credit <laughs> we gotta wrap this up thank you for listening thank you for joining us on our journey to arrakis we hope uh, you don't have sand stuck in your still suit too much um please connect with us mm. on uh, social media at we bought a mic let us know show us your pictures of arrakis of the dune planet mm-hmm. if you got a selfie with the with the uh worm you can share with us at we bought a mic on social media would you answer the here's this week's poll question for the listeners would you drink timothy chalamet's uh still suit water <laughs> 
Just, you, you'd be surprised you, at the answer. I'll take my answer off the air. <laughs> Email us at webottomike at gmail.com uh, with any feedback, thoughts, questions. If you if you thought our takes on Dune were shit, let us know. Let if us you, know. If you if caught you thought- on to the fact that I don't know anything at all about <laughs> Dune other than what I just saw. If you got into the fact that we're just talking about David Lynch's Dune and we have not seen yeah. the Denis Villeneuve movie yet, then yeah. Um, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, and send us a voicemail um, at anchor.fm slash mic, where you can also donate. And thank you to all the people who donate. Y'all are beautiful. Donate. Shout out to the Discord. <laughs> stop this. Where the, uh, the donors have special access to engage with us. Shout out to Ray and Javi, uh, who tuned into the, our live recording, where you can listen to us uh, record our episodes live. Uh, and engage with us in the Discord chat. Um, and you can also visit WeBottomMike.net to subscribe to uh, weekly emails each time we publish an episode right in your inbox. Get notified. That's it. Next week. Uh, taking another week off from uh, Robin Williams to talk about uh, some more movies that are out, including the French Dispatch, the new Wes Anderson, and the new Edgar Wright, mm. Last Night in Soho. So stick around for that before we get back into Williams mode. Um, and just, we'll see I you on the other side. I watching Awakenings on repeat. I can't watch <laughs> anything else. We'll see you on the other side. Stay safe. Stay sandy. Stay spicy. We love you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.